0: Michael Douglas goes postal, the forgotten adaptation of Jack and the Beanstalk, and Nathan Fielder is wonderfully weird this week on 30, 20, 10. 30, 20, 10, 30, 20, 10.
1: Three decades, every show, sometimes associated videos. 30, 20, 10, 30, 20, 10. Surprises and excitement as yes, we're going to the 90s and 2000s and 2010.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine taking you on a fun little trip across the milestones, the anniversaries of all of our favorite pop culture entertainment. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me?
2: I'm Diana Goodman and I got four words for you. Fee-fi-ho-ho.
0: <laughs> and,
3: and... <laughs> a- and I'm J.R. Rawls and am I the bad guy?
0: How <laughs> did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh my good! Oh my goodness. This is an exciting week. We have some of the weirdest, best weirdest entertainment that's, I don't know, like always recommend with a caveat kind of stuff. Uh, So I think one of the weirdest eras in television uh, for some reason and a bunch of fun movies to talk about. So stay with us. Once again, uh, straight off, thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Please give us five dollars. We'll give you a bunch of shows and movie commentaries in in exchange, including a brand new look at uh, King of Comedy, which I'm seeing a bunch of people post about now i guess we hit it early um but that movie is phenomenal and deserves to be remembered as one of scorsese's coolest and fucking weirdest uh i'm glad we got to talk about it together and uh sick of star wars bunch of others 80s stuff diana's rattled off and we've talked more in depth about 80s in depth uh anyway 30 2010 this week we're recording from the uh spooky week why do I say spooky it's neither groundhog day nor halloween february 24th through march 2nd no holiday major holidays in there i can think of Maybe some leap year stuff. I, I have no idea. I didn't President's check. President's Day. President's Day. Um, a holiday I haven't celebrated in some time. But every th- cool thing that happened across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago, 1993, 2003, and 2013. Let's begin as we always do in 1993 with some kind of news, because uh, we try and keep it light with pop culture, but there's some very big happenings in the world right now, uh, such as a truck bomb explodes in the parking garage of the New York World Trade City Trade Center at 12.18 p.m., killing six, uh, killing six and injuring over 1,000 in the deadliest act of terrorism on U.S. soil. Asterix at a time. Remember I talked about the Asterix.
3: their goal was 100% to collapse the World Trade tower uh they just uh didn't quite park it in the right spot and s- after this act of terrorism they had a couple of people run the numbers and they were like yeah you know what if they would have done a little better job Jesus. uh they might have been able to collapse the tower
2: yep. okay that, that was their plan was to collapse one tower into the other one which is like well it's like chopping down a tree even if you manage to get one down, you might not get it heading the right direction. And as I ranted when we talked about 9-11, the World Trade Center towers were built in a very specific way that it's tough to bring them down unless you damage their outer skeleton. Mm. And they didn't quite do that. They did manage to blow up a break room full of guys at the from the Port Authority, and that's Jesus. where most of the people died mm-hmm. um and smoke filled the buildings and they became really hard to evacuate because the smoke was so thick but yeah only six casualties which is pretty impressive and the main perpetrator is a guy named ramzi Youssef who got training from a group called al-qaeda oh. and his uncle was a guy named khalid Sheikh muhammad who is mm. the mastermind behind the successful attack on the world trade center that actually did bring it down
3: and, uh, yeah, when uh, Yusuf was being flown to his trial, uh, they pointed out the Twin Towers to him, and they said they're still standing. And allegedly, he said, give us time. Jesus. Mm. Y- yeah, this this was the much more amateurish version. Um, it was not done nearly as professionally as 9-11 was. To give you an idea of how keystone cops this operation was, mm-hmm. okay, After the truck blew up, one of the terrorists called the place they rented the truck from, lied, and said the truck had been stolen and that he wanted his $400 deposit back because it was stolen. (laughs) But the FBI was able to find the vehicle identification number. They contacted the rental company. They told the rental company to tell the terrorist that he was going to get his $400 back. And then when the terrorist came to pick up his $400 back, the FBI arrested him, and he quickly flipped and turned in a lot of other members of this terrorist attack.
2: Oh, my God. You see, I had not heard about that. I knew one of the guys who was supposed to be involved wasn't because he got picked up at the airport coming in on a fake passport. So they held him for the passport, went through his stuff, and they found fucking bomb-making manuals.
3: <laughs> this, Well, it's
2: 1993.
3: Yeah. You can look that up on the internet. It was I like, of, of course I need a bomb-making I got to bring it no... with me.
0: Why memorize yeah. this stuff or put it in code?
2: Uh, uh. Yeah, so a whole bunch of people have gone to jail for this, everyone involved. I think one guy they managed to never catch up with mm-hmm. who went to Iraq and hasn't been seen since at least 2003... Yeah. They went looking for him when we invaded Iraq in 2003. They went looking for him. They couldn't find him. So, I think he's probably dead. It, or he became a florist, I don't know.
0: As a yeah, but... younger person being 12 at the time, I was pretty astonished how unrattled the world seemed by this and like had to be reminded of it. So, what, 8 years later when
3: Cuz it wasn't successful. Yeah. I mean, if the if they had parked it uh 100 meters to the left, and the tower went down you know we would have never right, stopped talking right but like
0: about but this. when when like okay this is clearly a target and we don't have the head of this organization under any kind of <laughs> jurisdiction um, maybe they'll come for it again and we should increase security protocols and i'm sure they did to like a light extent but like no no they mm.
3: there were some major changes due to this mm. terrorist attack it is not even remotely as easy to buy uh, the chemicals yeah. needed to make bombs as it was before this attack. They mm. put in a bunch of uh, checks and balances, and then when Timothy McVeigh came along, they put in even more. And it's, it's generally hard to buy the amount of chemicals you need to make massive explosives today compared to 1993. I apologize.
0: Yeah. This, Regulating this, deadly this weapons was, has never uh, been this country's strong suit. That's <laughs> true. Now this
2: was a 1,000-pound bomb in the back of a... Oof. Rider truck. Pretty, I mean, that's that's a lot. It's, mm-hmm. It is impressive that considering the size of it, no, it could have been a lot worse.
0: Could have been a lot worse. No. Uh. And
2: yeah, it finally like drew some attention ever so slightly to like, oh wait, there's these like super Islamist groups out there. And like their whole thing was US stop supporting Israel. That, mm-hmm. that was their entire reason for it. And then it got confusing because a bunch of other groups claimed responsibility too. Cause they're like, why not? So, like, yes, the IRA totally fucking did that. (laughs) It's like, really, though? Did you?
0: And even more, because I remember this, maybe just the nature of how long it was covered on the news. Um, Yep,
3: that's exactly it.
0: The gun battle that erupts near Waco, Texas, at the Branch Davidian compound, and uh, after the ATF agents attempt a raid. Uh, Four officers and five Branch Davidians are killed, and a siege ensues. Mm.
2: Oh, the fuck ups begin now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they had this group under surveillance because there's, you know, a hundred and change living in this compound. They're a breakaway group of a breakaway group. They got this later leader who calls himself David Koresh. He says that all the men have to be celibate, but he can have all the wives, including underage ones. They're wow, like what the odds? <laughs> I know is not lucky. <laughs> lucky for him. Um. A UPS driver like called the cops on them because he was delivering a package that broke open and had a bunch of grenades in it. Yep. And so they've been watching them, sort of, but doing like not a great job. And these guys pretty much knew they were under surveillance and that they were probably coming. And uh, they had bad intel saying that oh David Crush never leaves. Turns out yeah he leaves all the time. You could have picked him up on the street. Nope. And yeah, gunfight and um, it goes on a long fucking time. And mm-hmm. uh, is bad. It's, I,
0: I remember yeah, being but, a kid at, at, at restaurants with my parents, and this is all any parent would talk about. It was, like, on every TV
3: behind us for what felt like weeks, but... Uh, months. months. It goes yeah.
2: almost almost two months. Jesus.
3: Yeah. And yeah. it just keeps going on and on. And we'll talk about the TV movie that begins filming while the siege Jeez, is going on. Wow.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, and then and
3: they find out that it ends in... in death and um, yeah yeah we'll talk about that TV movie when it's time but I recall so many think pieces at the time because this is just when I'm starting to listen to the news and it's just like wow this is going on and on and on and it's not starting and what I remember is everyone was like pissed at the government why isn't the government doing something why isn't they acting why are they letting the siege drag on so long Mm -hmm. Until. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> when the siege actually ended in tragedy, then they were like, oh, why didn't the government just wait? And I was like, you just said, <laughs> like <laughs> yesterday you were taking a completely different position.
2: Yeah, I'm starting
3: and, to think these pundits don't have much responsibility.
2: Yeah. And so like the government was doing that too. Basically they were like, yeah, let's just go in and, and just snipe everybody versus all these negotiators who yeah. are trying to negotiate with this guy. But he's also, you know, Believe in Armageddon is here, so it's kind of yeah. hard to convince them to come out. Yeah, like I, they the, do manage to get some people out, and then, but they're driving tanks around all the time. I watched the the recent playing all the music and horrible noises to freak everyone out. It's like you have a bunch of crazy people ready to die. Maybe don't put them under more stress. Right, like it, they're not going to come out peacefully.
0: I I've had because my knowledge of this is only that TV miniseries from a few years ago, <laughs> and it was just. Yeah, The one thing, like, well, you did show up prepared, very prepared for an armed conflict rather than, like, somehow saying, like, hey, man, dude, we know what you got. Do you want us to, come? like, maybe surrender these? Let's do this peacefully. But people showed up, they showed up very, very armed outside the compound for protection, obviously. Just so you just see, like, there's not, like, a couple steps in between that because if these people are hoarding weapons and afraid of the end of the world, maybe don't show up. Looking to siege the compound, show up with a warrant or something, and like
3: yeah, but then you've got the case of are the kids in danger? Yeah. Are are these people going? I you know I, I honestly think a lot of these situations, it's easy to have twenty totally totally site, you know especially
0: uh, but, with what like there was still moral panic surrounding cults like this. Nobody really knows what they're thinking. It's not like they're recruiting online, and and they can see exactly what their
3: goals are. Yeah, I mean, what Jonestown was like fifteen years yeah. before this, or something. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think that's what everyone was expecting. Was like, yeah. this, this is they're all gonna kill each other, and yeah, it, yeah it's gonna be a horrible slaughter of children, and it's, it's gonna be awful because there were there's only like a hundred folks in there, um, a, at least like thirty or forty of them were kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's yeah, let's not. But man, when we think about people and their government conspiracies. Oh, this, this is, is a big one. This yeah. this is like the worst case scenario for every prepper ever. This is what they're preparing for. And it's like, yeah, but that was a whole bunch of people and some kids. And if it's just you and your house, yeah, we, they'll just blow you up. I mean, if hey, we you really sh- think the government's that evil, they will just
0: We shut off your electricity and your, your you. line of credit. Uh come talk to us when the winter comes. And <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, let's just have a helicopter fly over with a explosive entry device, mm-hmm. like they did in Philadelphia in 1985, and just blow you up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: just set fire to your neighborhood. Uh, Complicated. Yeah. So many. Oh my god, I can't. Like this always comes up with every conspiracy it does. person who's saw it every time. Look what they did to the Branch Davidians. Well, they so
0: saw worst like... case scenario live on television. Yeah, and yeah, and, <sighs> yeah, and there, it was a lot of. But that's later
3: on. We're we're getting forward. At this moment in time, what begins is the constant siege, the constant ask for update. And to (laughs) me, the Mr. Show captures this moment in time perfectly. It's not made at the time of the event. It's made years later. But there's been so many news events, like the siege of the Branch Davidians, where we don't have any more news, but you keep asking us for updates. And the Mr. Show captured that moment in time amazing this
0: is the first time i hear the word guesstimate ever
4: <laughs> we're still waiting for information from either side all we know is that federal agents have surrounded this remote cabin no word on how many people may be involved or what their demands might be there is a total news blackout it's a tense and unchanging situation Brinks, harman this is Brinks. how much longer do you think they can hold out I don't know that. We have no new information. I just can't say. Can you take a guess? At this time, that would be premature. Harmon, this is Brinks. How about a guesstimate? Okay, you want me to guess? A hundred million days, or maybe ten more minutes. Somewhere in there. I just can't say. Don't know. What do you know, though, for sure? Harmon, this is Brinks. Now, I've been asking- I know, I know, I know. Look, what do you want? Are the federal agents planning on using force? I don't know. Maybe this tree knows. Tree, excuse me, uh, can you predict the future for me? No? Can I check back with you every two minutes for 16 days? Great, thanks. Look, when I say there's no new information, that means there's no new information. I'm not trying to hide anything on you, okay? you didn't tell me about that party this is a national news story that was a bris it wasn't even a party
0: (laughs) sorry we'll always indulge a good long mr show clip because it's one of the best shows ever
3: it it is a class
0: the mr show the coverage of the blow up the moon scandal which is a inherently (laughs) silly sketch every news cycle follows that exact same pattern this person's a hero. This person is now a villain. We're for it. Now we're... Anyway, <laughs> other Jesus. Other news. I'll rattle this off quickly. New York uh, Yankees owner George Steinbrenner is reinstated as a general partner of the team. He was banned because of his relationship with convicted gambler. Howie Spira, um, welcome back. Larry David impression. Uh, An actor, Gary Coleman, is awarded nearly $1.3 million in his suit against his parents over, I think, cons I want to speculate way more residuals than this. This is like his entire different stroke salary, and I'm only mentioning it because it'll become important later in the show. <laughs> yeah, yes, Gary wow. Coleman.
3: But yeah, yeah, this was actually a very important case. It, it set up a standard that parents really, really shouldn't steal from their child no. actor. What? Uh, or live like they're going to have it, this
0: salary from this child-based role forever. Because yeah, you probably yeah, won't. Yeah, and it should go into a trust.
3: I, I feel like this is mainly a solved problem. Like, I don't hear cases of like the Harry Potter actors. Where I, it's like, and uh, they're
0: only in the best movies ever, man. The ch- child stars of the last 10 years have been amazing.
2: <laughs> well, they, there's a lot of legislation in California and New York where this is yeah. especially a, an issue about, right. yeah, you, you're, a certain amount of money has to be put into trust for the kids for when they become adults, minus, you know, fees and costs. But then it's like, well, mom decided I'm her manager and uh, my fee is 80%. Yeah.
0: And, and like, 1.3 million. There's
2: no ways to do shenanigans.
0: This dude was the star of an incredibly popular sitcom, had his own cartoon show, was a star of movies and commercials. 1.3 million dollars feels astoundingly low, even in the 80s. Mm. Uh, yeah, double it for inflation so 2.6 million mm-hmm. i mean
3: that's not yeah. bad
0: the biggest one of the biggest sitcoms for me different strokes was kind of the only sitcom i cared about it had kids in it uh so yeah. i watched a ton of it anyway move on to the movies of 1993 february 24th through march 2nd rich in love with alfre woodard katherine erb ethan Hawke, Susie Amis, kyle mclaughlin jill claybrook and albert finney rich in love
2: yeah, I had never heard of this, but now mean? I am intrigued. It was a bit hard to find, but it is written and directed by the same folks who did Driving Miss Daisy what? a couple of years earlier. Huh. And it seems to be about sort of an old Southern family, which we keep running into these in the late 80s, early 90s. So yeah. many movies about old Southern families. And oh, yeah. the wife leaves just as the dad, Albert Finney, has retired and he doesn't know what to do. And then it's a coming of age thing with. Catherine Irby and her sister, Susie Amos and her new husband, Kyle McLaughlin and learning, loving, growing, learning to appreciate your family members in ways that you didn't like actually getting to know them because you didn't know them because they were working all the time or whatever. Yeah. Reviews are all pretty solid. If you know, since formulaic, but well done. Yeah. Okay. But, <laughs>
0: but uh, man, we talked we about to
2: get into the independent film boom. And the independent film boom, one of the things is, oh, wow, they made a pretty good movie or, oh, wow, that movie is really different. Yeah. But there's also the backstory helps sell the movie. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. Kevin Smith, he like signed up for a class and wrote all the credit cards maxed out so he can make this. And, and I, th- I think the, 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 the P- best of these, though, yeah. is this one. The,
0: the PR yeah. stories behind that, I think, inspired a bunch of uninspiring filmmakers because, like, yeah. max out whatever yeah. you got. Harvey Weinstein might
3: buy this. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. so, growing up, Clerks and this film were what everyone yeah. in my film classes talked about. Everyone mm-hmm. wanted to do what this film did mm-hmm. and what Clerks did. All right, the film is El Mariachi. El Mariachi, it's, it's really amazing. But if this film had been made for five hundred thousand dollars and was the exact same film mm. it is that we watched, I don't think anyone would remember.
0: It, it did not have crazy uh, expectations made for it. It's made for was made strictly for like Central America straight to video market for. What, seven to
3: $9,000? $7,000 is the official <laughs> figure. $7,000.
2: 14000 in today's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, half of which he got by volunteering for a medical trial for, I think yeah. it was like a, a cholesterol drug. And that got him four grand right there. And uh, yeah, and then it's every single thing you can come up with to cut corners. We're going to edit it. I'm going to shoot it at the same time on a video camera, edit it with the video mm-hmm. so I only have to edit the footage, the actual film once, shooting it on 16 millimeter. Don't record the sound. We'll do the sound later. You could end up with Manos the Hands of Fate that way, but, <laughs> <laughs> but actually trying. We're shooting it in Mexico. The cast is also the crew. If you're not on camera, you're behind the camera. They end up running out of bad guys. People to play bad guys, they've all been on camera already. <laughs> so they have to get creative with that. Yeah, it's just a tight Little story about, you know, a, a guy who's mistaken for an assassin, and then uh, again comes after him. That's it.
0: Yeah, but yeah. but done with a uh, clearly uh, a prodigious eye for yeah. what what's oh, important in film. This
3: is an incredibly skillful yeah. film. I don't want to downgrade it by saying I don't think people re- would remember it if it was five hundred thousand dollars because filmmaking is not like writing a novel. Mm -hmm. You have a limited amount of resources in making a film. How you use that resource that you possess is hugely important. And the fact that we got this solid film for $7,000 is utterly important. And it's in uh, the National Film Registry for a reason. Because making this good of a film for $7,000 inspired literally a generation of filmmakers. Yeah.
0: And yep. I I think still still <laughs> has has uh ripples in say how Marvel hires directors. They don't always go to the biggest major director who can he knows this genre. It's like, man, this dude made a cool genre film under budget that kicked fucking ass. Let's get the guy from Sinister to make a make a goddamn Doctor Strange movie. We can handle yeah, the effects. Well, it's-
2: it's about moxie, damn mm-hmm. it. And that was a big part of the the whole independent cinema idea of like, if you only have seven grand, you just have to plan very, yeah. very mm-hmm. carefully. Yeah. You just have to know exactly where your camera's going to be, what your shots are going to do. So you can do it all at once because you only pretty much have one take because processing film costs money. Yep.
3: Yeah.
0: So to know and- what can go wrong and how to compensate is like a huge yeah. skill, in, especially in a pre-digital era.
3: And that's the other thing I was going to say is the digital era has completely changed filmmaking. You know, I Mm -hmm. am literally a low budget filmmaker Mm -hmm. and my filmmaking experience is nothing like he was because I shot completely on digital. Mm -hmm. And that meant that if we missed a take, okay, let's rewind it. It cost us time, which is money, but it didn't cost us film, which is also money, I mean mm-hmm. that, that was
0: one of the big. That's why film is set up the way that it is because the how expensive film is and to put all these mm-hmm. people in front of behind the camera for this thing, this resource that we no longer have to consider like at all. No, is is, is totally strange. Yep. Uh,
2: no, it, there are good films that have been shot on iPhones. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, just
2: straight up well, iPhone, not a fancy iPhone, uh, just no. an iPhone.
0: Yeah, Avengers so, action sequences were shot on iPhones.
3: This this phone that I'm holding in my hand mm-hmm. is. Not quite as good of a camera as we shot Dark Dungeons on, but it's close. It's It's Mm -hmm. pretty damn close. Do a lot in post. And then that's,
0: I did want to say, like, I've only watched this movie once. You can, it's kind of, it is inspiring. Like, Jesus, this is only $7,000, but it's not like a Robert Rodriguez movie I could watch over and over again. But he kind of never left the spirit of this film. I do appreciate that he's like, I'm going to shoot with my friends in Austin. I'm going to embrace every kind of digital performance I can, like embrace technology. I'll edit this myself. He still does that, like to this day. He still operates like that. Kind of like, I love his credits written, directed, and chopped, shopped by uh, Robert Rodriguez. Shot and
2: chopped by Robert (laughs) Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, he's actually kind of ahead of the curve on shooting a video at the same time Mm -hmm. because that's exactly how they edit now. You take, if you're shooting on film, you digitize it and then you edit it. Yeah. On an Avid, you do the digital editing, and then you cut the negative. So he was pretty sneaky that way. Yeah. He figured that one out. But yeah, overall, I mean, it's a fun movie. If it costs $50,000, I'd still be pretty impressed. Yeah.
0: And and this is the first entry in the Desperado, once upon a time in Mexico, dare I say, machete-verse, (laughs) because he connects a lot of Robert Robert Rodriguez films. The main actor was replaced by uh, Antonio Medeiros. And I think they they reshot the end of the movie for Desperado with Mm -hmm. a Hollywood budget. It's it's it's, inter- it's mad interesting because he ended up like not abandoning the story. Some of the actors, even though I think I saw the lead in Grindhouse, I watched Grindhouse recently.
2: Yeah, yeah, the lead Carlos Gallardo pops up quite a bit. He pops up in Desperado. It pops up. In, oh, there's he, another one. He, he might he might be in all of the Mexico. He's trilogy, in
0: both Grindhouse uh, movies. Cool. Um,
2: yeah.
0: And yeah, El Mariachi. It's it's if you want to get inspired as an aspiring filmmaker. Look what this dude does with some friends and a little bit of money. It's pretty fucking neat.
2: (laughs) And some condoms full of fake blood.
0: Mm -hmm. That's how they did the
2: squibs. (laughs) Just put a condom with, like, a weight belt behind it and then just hit it real hard. And, I've been shot.
0: And now for the most, one of the most problematic movies I've ever loved. Um, Um, I disagree. Really? All right.
2: This movie is a Rorschach test, man. You see what you want to see.
0: Tuesday Weld, Frederick Forrest, uh, Rochelle uh, Ticotin, Barbara Hershey, this is his partner, Robert Duvall, uh, Michael Douglas, it's number one of the box office this week. I love bringing up that it's Joel Schumacher, who I just don't see how he got involved in this, falling down.
4: On February 26th, Bill Foster will abandon his car. And decide he's had enough. Give me some money. Give us your briefcase. Of life in the 90s.
1: You forgot the briefcase!
4: Academy Award winner Michael Douglas. And Academy Award winner Robert Duvall. In the one movie, critics say everyone will be talking about falling down. Just standing up for my rights It's a consumer. Rated R starts Friday, February 26th at a theater near you.
0: Yes. I, I think one of the... Yeah. Just the heavier Warner Brothers movies I've ever seen them approach
3: it's oh. this is the most adult Joel Schumacher film of all time yeah, 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 yeah
2: that's um, fair. so
3: i I don't think this film is problematic because I watched this film when I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and at no point did I think defense was the hero, okay, from the very start of this film defense is completely 100 in the wrong okay he is asking for change from a uh grocer and he doesn't want to pay uh to make a phone call mm-hmm. but later in the film we see him buy a snow globe for his daughter uh-huh. so he could have absolutely given that grocer his money and had enough change to make the phone call and he but just that's starts.
2: That's not the point. The yeah. point is white male rage.
3: Yes. Because when I first
0: saw it, I thought, like, yeah, man, the world seems really scary right now. And this dude is like one man's rising up and not going to take it anymore. And I found that part of it fascinating. And I, I See, still I had... think the movie's totally worth watching and really good.
3: But go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I can still recall my conversations with mm-hmm. my 14 year old friends. And they were like, oh, it was so cool how he, he fought everyone. I was like, what are you talking about? He was the bad guy. He, and they were like, but but isn't it cool how he like shot up the McDonald's? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> he shot up a McDonald's. I'm they I'm, don't have to serve him lunch. They don't have to serve it breakfast for lunch. But the that's food not how it works doesn't look like it does in the pictures. <laughs> and that's the <laughs> argument
2: they made. And I thought they were freaking nuts okay i i and i was stunned there were ads that were selling it like that of like aren't you sick of stuff like this don't you wish you could just kick everyone's ass and i'm like it's not the fast food workers fault yeah that they that they serve they stop serving You're- breakfast at this time
0: it's not gang members it, fault you it, don't it. recognize this the cityscape of la it's uh yeah.
2: it's it's none of their fault you know what you know who the bad guy in this movie is capitalism, capitalism.
3: Still. It was capitalism
2: now, all along.
3: the bad guy of this film is defense who clearly has a mental disorder. Love it and amazing. that's not subtext. That's text. His wife throughout this film is saying how scared she was of him. Yes, we watch a home video of defense where he is clearly just holding back rage against his own family. And the cop, who is the true protagonist of this film, correctly realizes that defense is most likely going to murder his own child and his ex-wife and then kill himself.
0: But but I do, man, to say people didn't take it the way Diane and I are talking about it is not true. I remember how people, like adults, like my girlfriend at the time's Republican dad, he saw this as something like a, 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 what do you call it? A martyr character.
1: Standing up yep. for the
0: changes yep. in society that are confusing. And there is a, a, a bit of sympathetic victimhood in here, but my but my favorite scene in the movie is when he, if we haven't said falling down is a movie where Michael Douglas loses his job, gets out of his car, somehow obtains automatic weapons and goes on a rampage of all the little things that are stuck in his craw. Uh, throughout uh, modern-day society, road construction, these golf courses, this should be playgrounds. Boom. Still, funny scene. I love the idea of blowing up golf courses. Uh, yes, when he sees the Nazi, and
2: yes, I really want to talk about this part because
0: I love that character actor. He's in Apocalypse now. I'm forgetting his name right now. Um,
2: Is Frederick Forrest?
0: Yes. He's like, man, I'm with you, dude. I'll give you whatever you want. I'm tired of this shit too. Look at all my Nazi shit. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a Nazi. And the difference here is that we have found mechanisms in our society to mobilize dissatisfaction and victimhoods a little over towards Nazism, a little cleaner and easier. We, like This type of person in today's society would have been radicalized by someone with a better outreach program than the Nazi he met. And the Nazis have great outreach programs right now. The left, not so much. Nazis, yeah. great yeah. outreach.
2: That that scene ends up making the whole movie for me because, like I said, it's kind of a Rorschach test. I think it is, re- it is still a perfect time to watch this because we are dealing with a fucking ton of white male rage right now.
3: Fragility.
2: Because, yeah, things are changing. And he's he's a guy, he worked in the defense industry. Yes. Which you could talk about the okay, morality this of that. This is the
3: other reason why I think defense but- is completely the villain. He has been out of a job for one month. Okay, <laughs> one month. I... Was unemployed at the worst phase of the Great Recession. And mm-hmm. me too. God, that's I get it. It can grind on you. Yeah. I put out so many resumes. I got turned down so many paying times. cobra
0: for a right to that. live that's more than your rent.
3: Oh goodness. Uh, One yeah. month, guy. <laughs> One month you've been out of work. No, no, no. You just yeah. no.
2: That's the thing, is he's from the generation that like he was. Told that if he showed up and yes. did his work, he would never be out of work. I'm yes. sure he has never not worked a day in his life.
0: I, I talked he has about no that. No
2: idea. He feels like he is owed these things. He was promised these things. He's promised the American dream. Mm-hmm. His wife and child have already left because he's a piece of shit. Now he's just taking it out on everyone else. He's annoyed when people can't speak English. He's annoyed. He's basically annoyed when he has interacted with with minorities which a lot of people pegged that even at the time of like he seems to be very mad at koreans and black people in particular but But then he deals with the rich white people too he fucking hates them and then but the nazi scene is the the thing that makes this movie for me because i implore our few right-wing listeners to think about this just
0: say one time i'm an american you're a sick asshole
2: yeah there's (laughs) He doesn't realize that yes, he's doing the thing that the Nazi loves because he's fucking with the Korean grocer and fucking with the black the the black mm-hmm. gang members. We're seeing a lot right now people who are concerned about, say, drag story time. And they yes. go and they want to protest something like drag story time. If you show up to a protest and there are actual fucking Nazis there agreeing with you, yeah, you done fucked up yeah, and you need to go home.
0: Your goals shouldn't be aligned.
2: Yeah. If you ever find yourself aligned with Nazis on an issue, and, and you are wrong and you need to stop.
0: I, I have there's been, so
2: many people that don't seem to get this right now because they're so filled with white male rage that they don't realize like, nah, man, they're, they're gonna use that and they're going to recruit you. And the next thing you know, it's the Jews yep. are the ones that took your job. We're not
0: that far away. Every time the previous president got up, he blamed Goldman Sachs. We then turned around and hired a bunch of people from that. That's not the most powerful banking agency in the world. It's just the one with the most Jewish name. It's very easy. Uh, to, <laughs> yes. All yeah. right. I said that off mic. And I just wanted to get that out on mic. They always use Goldman Sachs because it's got a Jewy name.
2: Yeah. It's always and, the globalists or just they are trying to control you and Please next time someone talks about how they are doing bad yeah. things, ask them about who they. Yeah,
0: you gonna mention Warren Buffett at all? No, any other billionaires yeah, on later there?
2: Later, it's gonna be the globalists. Then it's gonna be the Fed, the corporations. Okay, these are all things I I actually agree with that these are problems. But it was capitalism all along, and capitalism does not equal the Jew.
0: But I but I, my takeaway is someone who grew up white, cis, straight, male. With definitely certain advantages that I learned later on a lot of other people didn't get. And uh, I remember aching at like, where, where is the American dream? I thought if I like didn't commit crimes and did my work, I'd be stable for life. And the American dream never really talked about what investment you had to make into it. And if you have already alienated your family members, you're not doing your part in the American dream or the, the system of morality.
3: One thing I would like to... To have every school in America try to drive in to the minds of our American youth is what a fuck ton of work it takes to be average. Yeah. (laughs) You have no idea how much work it takes to have an average job, an average level of health, given your genetics, and an average amount of relationships with people. Like, that is so much work to be average in those three areas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To achieve averageness is difficult, and to achieve greatness requires a lot of sociopathy, and mm. <laughs> and, and and this in yeah. this and and. But again, that's what makes this movie. It's a mainstream movie that can easily appeal to Nazis, but also like, yeah, there is kind of something fucked up in our system, and and you can see it both ways. And if you forget Robert he Duvall, literally
3: says, "I'm the
0: bad guy in this
3: film," I <laughs> but he doesn't realize it till the end. That this is. A- But at the end, he realizes it. The protagonist, no... He's not the protagonist. The cop is the protagonist because the cop is actually the one who goes through change. Michael Douglas's yep. character does not go through any growth in this film. He is Jason. He is Freddie. He remains unchanged. The <laughs> cop, however, experiences personal growth, is able to overcome his own personal issues through the events of the film. Therefore, right. he is the protagonist.
0: But I'm saying as like, a consistent viewer of the film, sometimes I forget Robert DuFall is in this because all the best scenes involve defense. Mm. And it, it's it is about him. The movie is about defense, not Duvall. He's something you cut away to every once in a while. It's a nice little lake house, edge of retirement. Oh, I've done it. Is,
3: it is the cliche. It is his last day. Yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> but I, I think it's still a fucking fantastic movie. It's just like, I would be very careful with who I handed my copy to. And I do have a copy of this movie. I, I, I more More careful than I would have 30 years ago. But it is like... It's a weird piece of 70s film in the early 90s, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're right. It's, uh, I mean, it's not quite Death Wish because he does not just slaughter people. But it's, but a, it, it's is, challenging. And it's all about those little annoying things. Just, yeah. yeah. I am annoyed that a can of Coke costs 85 cents. Well, then I don't have enough change for the fucking phone. Mm-hmm. But was, hey, that grocer, is it his fault? He's got high overhead. He's got a store downtown, man. He's got issues, too. Is it his fault? Is he being malevolent? No. It's capitalism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's the true villain of the movie, but again, you can read it in different ways. And uh, yeah, I'm not sympathizing with Michael Douglas there. I just still think it's a fascinating movie because this is how we get to talk about it. Uh, 30 yeah. years later, it's still worth watching. Still feels modern. Very cool.
2: Yeah. I feel like it's, it's right up there with Fight Club and Scarface where it's like, yeah. if you think that guy is right... You're watching the wrong film. Yeah, I didn't mean to make it... And you should probably talk to a therapist.
0: I did not mean to make it say, like, I didn't want to recommend this film because I still think it's fucking cool. And it has action elements that are wonderful in this film. Gunfights and explosions. Uh, Dude gets a goddamn RPG somehow. (laughs) Well, somehow. Nazis. These were actually used, man. Um, Oh, God. God, that's a great scene. Uh, But yeah, let's move on to television. I'll save the big award show for last because... I just wanted to talk about this for a second because it's another frustrating thing in our look back 30 years ago of entertainment we weren't quite old enough to understand. Here's an 18-second promo for what's airing in primetime on NBC tonight.
4: Tonight, a woman forced to choose between her son and the man she loves.
1: You set me up!
4: A choice that could cost her everything. Another woman in love with the wrong man. Do you want me to go? One desperate night, they risked it all. Now there's no turning back. And now, Nights In. Don't say it's
0: A Days of Our Lives special primetime event. So I think this is now categorized as a TV movie. But I find it holy... There's no reason Days of Our Lives, a daytime soap opera, shouldn't get a primetime movie event. It's just not in line with any specific anniversary. How are they going to get people on board with Days of Our Lives? I know that's not the point of a primetime special. It's why you'll see like a... Uh, Christmas specials from cartoons and stuff like that in the same airtime but a it's called Night Sense. It is a Days of Our Lives movie that airs in primetime and just like the frustration we've had trying to look up information about daytime soaps the people who watch those aren't updating things on the internet and uploading things to YouTube. It is this movie is on YouTube but like I can't get much information about. It. Like what was the point of this? It was Days of Our Lives reaching some apex where you trying to encourage new viewers But like, that's how the show was introduced if you just turned on NBC
3: at eight o'clock. I'm sure it was just, it's a February. Let's Let's do something something with this time slot. Bob
0: Hope is dying. We don't want to do another special of his, even though they will. Uh, But yeah, I'd never heard of anything like this. A a daytime soap opera special in primetime. Never heard of anything like this. And usually when they do it, it's like a retrospective or a reunion show. But this is a narrative movie. That doesn't conclude anything, so the show has to air again in a week, in like two days. So, yeah, I'm super baffled by it. Even more fascinatingly, we have Bonkers, which debuts in syndication. Bonkers! Totally nuts. Um, it's incredible. This is
3: when me and the Disney afternoon said sayonara. Oh, you, I think you were growing is, out of it. I was growing out of it, but I also feel because I've looked at it in retrospect even without nostalgia goggles I feel like Bonkers did not live up to the DuckTales Rescue Rangers Darkwing Duck Tailspin Golden Age I really don't.
0: Well, what's bizarre about it and like there's kind of a misnomer here like this was supposed to be Roger Rabbit which makes a ton of sense. A former cartoon star because it, this is a toon cop who partners up with a human, but they, they, do, they work in Toontown. And the show gets retooled across like 65 episodes. And Disney has been adamant. I even talked to some of the Disney afternoon people on a laser time episode. Like, no, it was never supposed to be Roger Rabbit. But that's because everything Roger Rabbit did required approval of Steven Spielberg, who has a competing show up against bonkers, Animaniacs, who would literally take jabs at bonkers (laughs) and Spielberg. Why would he want to work frustratingly with Disney when he was, what he wanted to do was bring back the 1940s classic era of animation that he loved. And he's doing that simultaneously with Animaniacs. This is Disney attempt. Disney's attempt to replace Roger Rabbit and that they have Mm -hmm. so much admitted to. And to the point where bonkers had a theatrical short where he's just a cartoon character. He had raw tuned shorts where he's just a cartoon character and you were kind of supposed to follow that line from raw tunage, which I never saw. Into I never knew it existed look how, until I started doing this show. I, I played the game, and like in the game, you're going after like Aladdin's lamp and like Little Mermaid's crown. He is supposed to be doing like it, it should have been more fun. It should have been more like Roger Rabbit, where he's like working cases with established Disney cartoon stars. But I think because he wasn't there, that kind of wet that blank a little bit. But Bonkers was very much Disney internally trying to replace. The magic that roger rabbit had brought to the studio which includes like fucking toontown that's a thing that still exists uh in certain <sighs> disney parks
3: but the bonkers tv show was 100 percent animated yeah and it wasn't animated good so the difference between the <laughs> real For tv human yes. <laughs> cartoon characters and the cartoon cartoon characters was like I guess I kind of know what you're going for, but I'm having to work for it. And if you're having to work for your Disney afternoon cartoon, maybe don't go with that premise. I,
0: I think in a meta universe like now, if it, they would have launched this with an established, it's like the Rescue Rangers movie, which bonkers yeah. appears in uh, <laughs> as a police officer. It would have been more tongue in cheek and and gone and like finding Tinkerbell's blobby look. It would have done that a little more, but we weren't quite there yet.
3: Yeah, at the very end, they started to have more Disney characters appear on Bonkers. But that was very much just like, all right, just throw anything to get this. You should have done that
0: to begin with. It should have been a Roger Rabbit becomes a cop show.
3: It should have just been started out with, these are all the Disney characters you know and love. Mm -hmm. And... Here's the cop they Oofy have to talk is to. is being investigated for tax evasion. Yes. <laughs> no, for uh,
0: ties with communism, if you're to believe a headline in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, bonkers. And I've heard it's a fun show for people who watch it, but like you, I was kind of A, teetering out of that, but I was way more on, on in Animaniacs, and that was a way funnier show, delivered on what I want. Another super weird oddity from, uh, from 30 years ago, the Roseanne episode... Lose a job, Winnebago. The entire Connor family packs into Winnebago to go see an, a live L.A. taping, but have to settle for a taping of the Jackie Thomas show, the fictional show inside the sitcom Jackie Thomas show, starring Tom Arnold playing Jackie Thomas. It's bizarre, and it's another one of those measures. It's why I think people w- could be so annoyed with, with public celebrity relationships, because Roseanne was got Tom Arnold his own show and would go... On, like, the Tonight Show and say, like, I'm going to cancel Roseanne or take it to another network if they cancel my husband's show, the Jackie Thomas show. She would stand up and promote her husband's show, which was failing and losing the Roseanne lead-in ratings, and then force this crossover, like, kind of in the death knell period. But, yeah, there's – if Roseanne could still be considered a classic, which she's not anymore. Ooh. Ooh. What?
3: Got it. If she's looking for a comeback – Bring back the Jackie Thomas show with her playing herself. I'm still alive in the universe. Trying to make come back while her husband, Jackie Thomas, is trying to distance himself from Ooh, her for her actions.
0: I love it. it way <laughs> I would be way closer to watching that than her Fox News comedy special. But, oh, um, yes, that is also happening. But, yeah, there's an
1: episode... Well, she...
2: She just explained that her pronouns are "kiss my ass," and I really support Hilarious. "kiss my asses." Embracing of that <laughs> identity—that's important to "kiss my ass." And good for "kiss my ass."
0: Oh my god! Please, <laughs> let's do that from here on out. Let's take her <laughs> take her awful joke seriously.
2: "Kiss my asses," awful jokes.
0: Uh, also, this week we got a TV movie, "Bloodlines: Murder in the Family" with Mimi Rogers, Elliot Gould, and Clancy Brown.
2: Yeah, it's a two parter based on what's called the ninja murders which is not as much fun as you think it's gonna be <laughs> it is pretty fun though i mean it's sad that this couple was murdered in 1985 sure. um because their sons they there were a lot of uh, family fighting and the sons hired uh two brothers to kill their parents and the guys dressed up as ninjas to do it hell yeah walking along the street in west la in 1985 dressed up as ninjas Showing up to Yum Kipper and killing the parents. Legitimate
0: and, white people fear in the eighties.
2: Yeah, everybody, everybody went to jail for it. But you know, it's not quite. It, it's kind of like the Menendezes before the Menendezes. Yeah, but just, they were older, yeah. and they were like more settled. They weren't young, mm-hmm. creepy dudes. They were older, creepy dudes.
0: And uh, penultimately, we have the Seinfeld episode "The Implant," which runs a lot oh, in bests. Oh,
3: th- this stuck with. Uh, 14 year old JR mm-hmm. I mean uh, 14 year old JR really loved this episode just like I don't know why just really <laughs> stuck with me for some reason but, but but because, yeah, because this...
0: I think there was a uh, just a shitty male thing that like well if they're fake breasts they don't count like why do you care they're only here <laughs> well, the, Oh,
5: I, okay Chris, I just, have I just remember
0: actually... I, have a, I have a specific memory went home with a girl I didn't know Shirt comes off. I'm like, wow, these. Are, why are these so amazing? And she's like, don't thank me. Thank the doctor. I'm like, oh, it's. And then I'm like a teenager at this point, like a, a like 19 years old, like, and like it was the first time I saw fake breasts. I'm like, these look unreal and crazy and good. Why would that? I like them any less than regular breasts, for fuck's sake.
3: Okay, uh, women got the right to do whatever they want their with their own bodies. Go on, you. You do you. I don't like the feel of fake breasts chris oh. i don't mm-hmm. i have felt them and it's like this is not what i want to feel at this moment i don't
2: kind of if it depends on the quality of the job and whether they're, they're under the muscle or over the muscle but yeah they can feel and look very hard i
0: don't care uh, to quote the mr show moon sketch again Ate an egg on it. Hit a golf ball on it. What else can I do with it? Like they, they're just gonna get bored. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not the time body part I spend the most time with, anyway. So like, uh, yeah,
2: but you you do you. you I know. mean, they're seen a lot more than they are felt. So mm-hmm. yeah, when, look, yeah, whatever makes your body happy is pretty much it. Yeah. But man, the punchline on this is something the, I use the, and the, all the around forever. Time.
0: The game wants, but not
2: about my boobs, although they are real.
0: And they, <laughs> I'm not saying it, <laughs> uh, but but that's the whole. Wondering if Jerry's new girlfriend's tits are real and enlisting Elaine, Elaine to go into the sauna and find <laughs> out, like, just enjoy the breasts, man. Who cares? Like, who cares? You'll find cares? out eventually. Uh, and then I didn't. when I saw this episode, didn't know who Terry Hatcher was. She would eventually become yep. one of the most downloaded JPEGs on the internet. And these are, in fact, her breasts that are the subject of question in this episode. <laughs> and she has the famous line at the very end of the episode
2: sent a woman into the sauna to do that to me. That was an accident. I think you're both mentally ill. Oh. And by the way, they're real and they're spectacular.
0: (laughs) I don't think there is a hot, like a hotter scene in Seinfeld than the way Terry Hatcher pops back in that room, flips her hair and talks about her own tits. Like I, I okay, in really, Seinfeld, yeah. I'm saying uh,
3: most erotic scene in Seinfeld. Yes, yep, that's it. That's it. Most
0: Seinfeld's most jerk worthy moments coming to never mind. Uh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, let's move on to video games of 1993 because they are equally as fun and notable. Alien Three, the gun, arc for the arcades. It's exactly what you think it is.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. This, this looks so cool in the arcades mm-hmm. but it, and it's impressive for the time you know the alien creatures look amazing for 1993 cuz we are right on the cusp of where arcades are still just pounding out superior graphics that your genesis or yeah. your super nintendo cannot match but the controls just weren't that good
0: and uh, the regular alien games are uh, the arcade games are just as fun if not more freddy Farkas, frontier pharmacist is a game <laughs> I have never that played, missed. but I've read the 200-page manual, which is just this hilarious... Uh, was this an Al Lowe joint, one of the Leisure Suit Larry it was guys? was yeah. It's just this... I think there may be some kind of uh, DRM protocol in the manual somehow, but it is just this funny comic magazine from the era about being a pharmacist. And it's just yeah. contained with jokes that aren't in the game, illustrations that have nothing to do with the game. Uh, it's my buddy Sam to tell me like, yeah, the game's kind of funny, but the manual you can just pick up and you don't have to like play for an
3: hour to get to the funny thing. You can just read the manual. It's hilarious. I think we may be at like the height of PC feelies. Feelies listeners are the little extras PC games used to give you like a real map or a thick, thick ass manual or a a, a a hexagonal box.
0: You could stick on your mantle, Mm -hmm. some kind of physical tchotchke.
3: this is a this is a solid uh, adventure game from the makers of Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. So if you yeah. like Leisure Suit Larry, you'll probably
0: like this game. But instead of sex, it's Frontier Pharmacy with some lewd jokes in it. But it's just like, who's this for? <laughs> who's this for now? <laughs> this is not a good mechanism for comedy. These goddamn adventure games—they were just the only mechanism for comedy in interactive uh, games. And then, man, speaking of one of the biggest, best PC releases. It's what I admire most about the uh, history of LucasArts. The idea, not only the idea that I think we've talked about, they were, you no know, we'll license out indie and Star Wars and we'll focus on like moving this medium forward with really cool stuff. And they primarily made stuff for PC. And one of the biggest PC exclusives ever was when LucasArts, like, all right, we'll make a Star Wars game for PC in house and not license it off to one of these shitty Mattel subsidiaries, Star Wars X-Wing, the flight sim for PC.
3: Oh boy. So I was a ridiculously huge LucasArts fan at the mm-hmm. time. I subscribed I to the Adventurer magazine. I was following everything. I was the biggest Star Wars fan on the planet. And so I got this game and I was so excited to play it. I Did not like flight sims i still don't like flight sims but this is a flight sim what they did is they took uh the engine from secret weapons of the luftwaffe (laughs) which was a world war ii flight sim (laughs) and they went okay now it's star wars and they made it so that it's as realistic of a star wars flight sim as 1993 can offer it's not an arcade game you're not just Play, putting your quarter in and shooting people you have to think you have to plan you have to be really delicate with your controls and i hated that i just wanted to go around and shoot a bajillion things and it was like no 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 take your time go gently no i don't want to go gently i want to swerve and bake and go all over the place and they're like nope nope well then you're gonna die
0: why and there's die. no gravity here a lot let, <laughs> let me spin around in this ship and it's this is like the first Star Wars game Lucas Arts developed. It's so non corporate. After almost a decade of existence, they they balked at the idea of developing a Star Wars game, so 100 internally. And this is the, kind of the first big one, and followed followed it up with many many expansions, uh, Tie Fighter, B Wing, uh, all that stuff. It, it was played for a very and enjoyed by a lot of people for a very long time. Is it's, some consider it one of the most optimal Star Wars experiences. I think, especially being an early polygonal 3D game. Um, But yeah, only on PC for an excruciatingly long time. I know I have a copy through Steam, because you can still get it, um, but it it is out 30 years ago. I think the most significant, thus far, Star Wars contribution, and maybe the highest rated Star Wars contribution LucasArts made uh, with the Star Wars property. Neat to think about. Moving into music of 1993, we're going to close out the '93 segment. Oh, another long one. Oh, we have we have the the Grammys to talk about. The Grammys happen this week. Um, yep. Yeah. Hosted
2: by Gary Shandling, Eric Clapton unplugged just cleans up. Every
0: yeah. Line. Which I find funny because the top of the pop hits is ain't nothing but a G thing, and in the mm. Grammys, your dad's favorite musician is, is winning for his acoustic set.
2: <laughs> yep. But as always, especially the farther back we go, I like to see who won for best new artist, which was Arrested Development. Yay! which you think is fair, beating Billy Ray Cyrus, Sophie B. Hawkins, Chris Cross, and John Cicada?
0: I'll take it. I love Arrested Development. I can take that. Mr. I like Wendell Forever development a lot too. Yeah. A human in flesh, but not by law. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, that's. I, I say that not to like shame the music because I was listening to all of it. Like I was listening to Eric Clapton, Unplug, and Dr. Dre at the same time. It it. Kind of pretty diverse, but that's what's topping the charts is uh, this is sweeping the Grammys. So obviously older people are involved in the Grammys. Uh, no. T- Tom Waits is winning an award. and
2: Jethro Tull isn't metal. What are you talking
0: about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're only a couple years into the rap category at this mm. point. So yeah. But speaking of other music news, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston is not only still number one, I believe it breaks a record, although I couldn't at the end find what it broke the record of. Uh, yeah. 14 consecutive weeks at number one. That is a mm-hmm. new record mm-hmm. for a single, and I believe this will go on to be "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston, the highest selling female solo selling album of all time, single wise. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, she's uh, she's at 14 weeks, which is the same as like Aunt Elton John "Candle in the Wind '97" wow. and. Yeah, anything you can think of uh, that's one more than The Boy Is Mine, which is another one that's just that just went on forever. It's only five weeks short of the current record, wow. which is still Old Town Road, which I, I love that song, but I don't understand how it went longer than this.
0: It's so short. Um, and al- also this week, we have some new albums, uh, February 24th through March 2nd. You got Scenes from the Second Story by The God Machine, Smoke by Driving and Crying. Stain by In Living Color, uh, Superstar Car Wash by the Goo Goo Dolls, 10 Summoner's Tales by Sting. Everybody oh. else is doing it, so why can't we? The debut of the Cranberries, an album Desert. I think is I loved at the time, still do. Why not? Um, Those
2: last two are some big ins, man. Mm-hmm. That was eight, 10 Summoner's Tales is a freaking you could not avoid that album from Sting, and it's really good. It's super stingy. What's the There's hit, what's the hit off point. that one? Oh, Fields of Gold
0: oh i thought that was on the album fields of gold okay maybe i'm incorrect uh it's
2: got fields of gold and uh the the one that's from the lethal weapon movie that's actually really good (laughs) and and, um the one we're gonna close out with yeah
0: but yeah none of them are linger linger by the cranberries just a great 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 uh jam so let's close out with that close out with linger but stay right there we got so much more to talk about when we get back 10 years in the future
4: like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew, then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com/lasertime. It supports not only this show but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste.
3: 1978, they're shooting Superman 1 and Superman 2 back yes. to back.
0: I'm kind of becoming comic obsessed in the early to mid 80s. I think Superman 3 is on the verge of coming to video. But basically, I could just rent the first two over and over again. So I watched those over and over and over again. And to me, they, they warm my heart. And by the time the Donner cut came out in, what are we talking, 06? 06, co- 06, I think, yeah. To coincide. Like, I watched it and like, you know, I read this is technically better. I was a little kid. I didn't know what happened. I didn't want this version. It. I felt nothing when I saw it because, like, this is just not the n- nostalgic version I have for Superman. And Steve has a, an, an experience I'd like to talk about. It's hard to call any of these movies good because they're all bad and pee in the eye of Superman
4: and, and everything you know okay, about it Okay. Okay. <laughs> Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on patreoncom lasertime.
1: Coming hey, go. two, two. do. like into
0: 2003 with uh, Oh god, who is this? The Art of Losing uh, by American Hi-Fi Off the album of the same name Welcome to 10 Years Later, everyone You went to sleep portal 2003 is now open uh, welcome to 20 years ago the middle segment of 30 2010 other albums out february 24th through march 2nd of 2003 include the beautiful letdown by switchfoot deuce by the doc living legend by bg sort of abbreviations new self the self-titled album by nate dog r.i.p uh and uh, philadelphia freeway by freeway all i have by jennifer lopez featuring L. cool j still number one Woo! um also this week a little bit of news Ooh, CB, uh, CBS Evening News anchor Dan Rather interviews Saddam Hussein
3: on national television shortly before the Iraq invasion begins. Ooh. This was so weird to me because <laughs> I was like following the news religiously at the time, and I, you know, like everyone else, knew the invasion of Iraq was coming down any minute now, and to just see uh, Saddam being interviewed, like really really right before the invasion it felt so weird to me so yeah i'm not sure that's something like
0: the previous quote-unquote wars no that got to see there
3: there was never like okay let's interview hitler before d-day no that, that didn't happen yeah and i
0: also saw this week this is stupid news coke is beating the shit out of pepsi thanks to the coke vanilla which was announced last year Coke Coke Vanilla is helping Coke topple uh, Pepsi right now, but perhaps the biggest tragedy of all, um, Fred Rogers, host of the television series Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, dies of stomach cancer at the age of 74. I believe we played his last on-air appearance. It was a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys... One of those award shows.
2: Yeah, we played that. And from his last episode, which was so touching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, oh, yeah. I remember, I mean, I was working at a newspaper at this time. And when that came over, like, everyone was so depressed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) including people much, much older than I was. Everyone was just like. Oh, 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 Mr. Rogers, we need you more than ever.
3: And, and he he I would... just had such an incredible personality that came through the airwaves. I mean, yep. the amount of love that that man had for everyone is hard to believe until you learn about him. And yeah. I highly recommend the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, that was the real Mr. Rogers you were seeing, yeah. basically. Yeah, he was acting a little, but that's who he was. He was a man a of, of
0: in, inhuman kindness, like mm-hmm. the likes of which we don't normally see. I think the only even negative thing in that documentary, you know, is when he got that one gay cast member gets caught in a gay club. He's like, I don't know if you should be doing that with the children's show host thing. And they, later on, he's just like, I'm sorry, I get it. <laughs> like, came around and was super nice about it and everything. But yeah, just the, yeah, no well, dark side.
3: In the, in the documentary, the gay guy says that he understood it completely at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, Mr. Rogers is personal for me because there's been a number of times in parenthood where it's trying for me. And I think any parent will tell you the truth. And I've sometimes just watched an episode of Mr. Rogers to calm down.
1: Just be Mm -hmm. like,
3: this is going to be a peaceful, calm, loving moment. It's actually uh, a big part of my lockdown memories. At the end of the day, I'd watch an old episode of Mr. Rogers with my two kids just to try to get some sense of calmness or peace Mm -hmm. during a a chaotic time for my family, Mm -hmm. and To have your legacy be one of loving kindness. Yep. Gosh, who wouldn't want that? A
0: guy who cared far more about literally helping children than having a TV show, never changed his TV show despite, I think, it kind of dying in the ratings at a certain point. Like, dude, make with the fucking big puppets. Like, I don't think we need that. I I just, I genuinely care. and A genuine expression of care he expressed before Congress what he wanted his show to be. And that he, I don't know if we have anything equivalent that he He himself raised multiple generations. He helped raise children via the television. Even the Mm -hmm. Blues Clues, having been on the air throughout 20 years, has had three different hosts. Mr. Rogers was on the air for, I think, 40 years? Like, uh, about 40 years, roughly? It's a long time. And nationally. So he wasn't even, like, a, a regional host. It's something... The entire nation really had to take a... Take, the Buffy ending announcement really took a backseat to that this week. I had that written in my notes somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Rogers is no longer with us. Um, it was yep. really, really sad. Everybody was sad. Uh, and then um, mo- the movies of 2003. Let's get into those because they're all squeamish. Uh, <laughs> the, the Quiet American with Michael Caine, Brendan Fraser, and uh, Do Thy High Yen uh, is out this week
2: this Quite is not a squeamish one this is a solid solid adaptation of the graham green book much better than the uh, previous version because the it came out in the 50s it was adapted in the mid to late 50s like a couple of years later and they turned this book that is about condemning american interventionism in south Indochina into an anti-communist rah-rah type thing yeah. and it's really really <laughs> embarrassing and it's by a filmmaker I like, but this version keeps to the novel. Brendan Fraser is a guy in what would become Vietnam um, while the French are in charge. He says, oh no, I'm just minding my own business. I'm just here, but he's working for the CIA and he's trying to promote American interests. And Michael Caine is a kind of, he's a journalist who just sort of doesn't care, but then he starts to really care. And there's lots of stuff about like funding the people that are against the people you don't like and is the friend of their friend, your enemy. And is it okay if you're supporting terrorism, if it's in for a good cause? Doesn't every terrorist think they're having a good cause? Really good movie by uh, Philip Noyce. Noyce. One of those directors who comes up all the time, kills it. And then we all forget he exists.
0: And it was a movie that was, (laughs) I think it was done filming before 9-11 and just put yes. on the shelf because like, there's no way we can release a movie with this message in the nope, immediate aftermath. Exactly.
2: They, said they, they screened it uh, for test audiences and they, uh, the audiences got mad because it was so unpatriotic to America. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. oh, because it's depicting the real thing that we did and that we continued to do for 20 years and we got a whole ton of people killed, including our own? No, that's not happy times right now. Yeah. The idea that we're sending an army into another country and fucking with them somehow not clicking right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Total recommend for a Quiet American. And it's nice to see, uh, yeah, Brendan Fraser at the time trying to pivot into more serious stuff and he's really good in it. And, you know, he's having a moment. This is a good one to go back and watch.
0: Well, the movie I bought on DVD, sight unseen, <laughs> thanks to overwhelming positivity from critics. Gabriel Byrne, Lynn Redgrave, Miranda Richardson, and refines in uh, David Cronenberg's Spider.
5: Yeah. Which
0: is just a kind of a masterful film of unpleasantness and, <laughs> and, 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 and just uh, the least fun okay. of his films to watch, in my opinion.
3: Oh, Pitch this to know. me because I watched the first 40 minutes and I couldn't get into it. Mm. I was just struggling the whole time. It, it didn't draw me in.
0: Well, Ray, F- Ray Fines is a recently unhospitalized schizophrenic um, with traumatic childhood. The story is told through a lot of flashbacks. It does contain a scene I'd never seen before of a woman whipping the sperm after a handjob like Spider-Man, which I, I legitimately tried after this movie. Uh, few... I turned it up before that. Yeah, I know, no. I know. It's a great scene. But... Uh, I don't know, Diane. Did you see this movie? I don't know how, how spoiler I should get.
2: Yeah, I saw it many years ago, and mm-hmm. I I really wanted to go back and rewatch it. Ran out of time because, yeah, Cronenberg can be hard to rewatch because, mm-hmm. yeah, there sometimes you're just spending a bunch of time with unpleasantness, and yeah, this is one of them where it's more mood than gross Cronenbergisms.
0: Yeah, the the schizophrenic th- believes his father murdered his mother and replaced her with a prostitute he was having a liaison with and that his mother is not his real mother and then you know (laughs)
2: he starts to think his landlady might be her Mm -hmm. and it gets very confused
0: thinks he's seen her murder thinks he sees another murder and then i i don't even know if i want to spoil it is it is a good movie like it is legitimately a good movie but it's just uh not a great ending not not a fun ending for sure um. Uh, no. Yeah. And yeah.
2: Just, just creepy all around. It is. It's. Yeah. A, it's a creepy spider equals creepy. Mm-hmm. Does he start building webs? Yes, actually he does. He
0: does. <clears throat> <clears throat> Lastly, number one at the box office: Gabriel Union, Mark the Deca- the Costcos, uh, Tom Arnold back again, Anthony Anderson, Kelly, Who, D M X, uh, Jet Lee. It's Cradle to the Grave.
4: All right, you know what to do. Let's get it on. Black diamond. I want my stones, Mr. Fate. I'm not going to be able to do that. The stones are not
0: what you think they are. The no gun policy is no longer a problem. Break out the heat. Wicked R. I watched this hella casually years ago. I, I didn't love it, but it's like. These movies are, you know, pretty ser- low-budget, servicey, serviceable action films, B-action films. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, yeah, produced by Joel Silver. Uh, yep. did not so, get
2: a to rewatch it. I think one of the more interesting things is it's directed by Andre Batoviak, who was the cinematographer on Falling Down.
0: Wow, what? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. It all ends up. Wheels within wheels. Yeah, and he previously directed Romeo Must Die, and mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. We're, we're continuing trying to get that, that lightning back. and is DMX in that too? Is, is he? No. I don't think so. Maybe. Um, he is. Or just ja draw Rule it? I feel like there has to be a rapper yeah, in DMX that. that
0: is, DMX recognize. is in it. And, and okay. Gently, yes.
2: Some of the ideas in it are kind of fun. Like, the idea that it's uh, folks, they, you know, have to steal his stuff, and then there's backstabbing of, like, who hired them to do it, and they're stealing it from this guy, and, but that guy is, and there's, like, a lot of there's like a lot of people who are trying to double cross each other which I find a little confusing but the idea that what they're stealing isn't what they think they're stealing but no one will tell them what it is like that's kind of fun everyone thinks they're after them because like we stole all this money and it's like no one gives a shit about the money actually they want the black diamonds
0: black diamond might Okay shouldn't do it uh but i did it anyway
2: uh yeah so it's like oh diminishing returns i think we got like a 20 something percent on rotten tomatoes like yeah it's it's pretty disposable like totally. there's other movies like this and there's ones that are better too true you know trying to trying to keep Jet Li doing the thing and when he does the thing it's fine
0: Speaking of disposable, let's move into television real fast because this I always found fascinating because at this point I'm reading some trades and what's going on. And it was a little movie we talked about from last year that stayed top the box office for almost an entire year off of a very small budget, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And now we get this week on CBS, the debut of My Big Fat Greek Life, a multi-camera sitcom with Mo- mainly the the entire cast, right? Like from the film,
2: uh, Much, mostly
3: mostly not the husband, right? Uh,
0: not, right. I couldn't get Aiden, Aiden back, yeah. but uh, but the the same family, which is if you're gonna do it, do it like that, yeah. But but that's but, also pretty bizarre because usually in transitions like this, you don't bring along the whole cast for a completely different looking format. Uh, you, you'll get a mash, but you'll get different actors, or you'll get clerks, but it'll not be a <laughs> single-camera movie. It just had to be bizarre to look at, and I just remember week one, massive ratings. Week two, whoa, this really fell off. Week three, like, Neo is begging CBS, can we just not do this anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: they, they tried to just recycle all the jokes from the movie in the first couple episodes, and it's like, oh. well... If we already saw those jokes in the movie, why would we be excited about seeing those exact same jokes on TV? Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially given that the box office indicated some clear repeat viewings in the home video did as well. So I, I remember I had that experience with Strangers of Candy, the movie, a thing I liked brought to the big screen with a bunch of recycled jokes. And like, of course, that's not going to play as well for me, even though I love this property. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's bizarre to see this go from like 25 million viewers in the first episode to 10 in a series in like Ooh. a month. And to the point, like seven episodes and and nobody involved wants to keep it going. So they don't. But it had, had more than enough viewers to keep it on the air. They just collectively decided not to. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, and right. also this week, Clifford the Big Red Dog ends, which only makes me sad because it was one of those book series my parents, I loved, but my parents wouldn't really get me. Like man, I just wish this was a movie or a TV show, and all that shit came out when I was way too
3: old to give a fuck. And exact <laughs> same for me. I mean, I loved Clifford the Red, hell big yeah. Red Dog when I was four, mm-hmm. and the premise mm. of what if a dog but big? What if
0: no? What if a dragon but a dog? I'm like, that's perfect. I could I can talk <laughs> my parents into that. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog. It ends in 2000. Sadly, sadly. Um, and then also this week, Fraternity Life debuts on MTV, a spinoff of Sorority Life, which is airing its second iteration up against this. This is a reality show, right?
3: It's a reality mm-hmm. show. And again, I've just never seen my fraternity experience on film or TV. My fraternity experience was actually a really important growing experience for me. It's a time when i really developed a lot of social skills. And if you look at studies growing. Uh, fraternity members tend to do better after college than non fraternity members because they tend to have much better social networks which are very important mm. for your life skills mm. and i've never really seen that on television or movies it's always just Woo! it's not it's not doesn't make the most it doesn't make for the most
0: compelling television or at least it's difficult to portray on television you know what I saw over a season of this reality show growth personal Mm. growth that's it I want to see drama I
3: would honestly like I would love a serious TV show that has someone join a fraternity and experience growth throughout their experience You, you
0: can chart like what MTV did to its reality shows in to the level of torture they put upon the participants. Because I love, Mm. we always remark on that second season, The Real World, there's a whole episode about, like, John won't do anything but watch TV. Because he's not from L.A. He has no interest. He's a Nashville country singer. So MTV's like, get rid of the fucking TVs. Get rid of the phones. And Mm -hmm. and then by the fifth season, they're pumping everything full of alcohol and designing activities for them to do. But the original nature of The Real World was like, A goldfish bowl. Watch what these people do. Given the choice to do whatever they want, they started just torturing people. And by the time I'm guessing we get to fraternity life, it's not real fraternity life. They're they're, making.
2: Well, they're they're going farther. I mean, it's because you're putting cameras there. People are going to do things that they wouldn't normally do, but they they want to keep this interesting. So the first season, they're at University of Buffalo, and the fraternity does some illegal hazing and breaks into the Buffalo Zoo.
3: Wow, on camera.
2: On camera. And there are two seasons. They're both just in 2003. The second season is at UC Santa Cruz. This part I remember. uh, Two frat brothers stole a koi from the pond on campus, barbecued, and ate it. Wow. Wow. would so they it- have done that without wanting to impress cameras? I don't know. Yeah, but...
0: Did they film this? Like, Because the cameramen yes. become implicit. that <laughs> Your boom yes. mic guy is now guilty of a crime. <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. I wasn't watching it. I do remember no. watching uh, Fox this week, because check out what's happening this week.
4: Tonight brings you the year's most extraordinary night of television. Well, first is the 90-minute Simpsons celebration featuring the all-new 300th episode. I
2: can't count how many times your father's done something crazy like this.
4: It's 300, Mom. Then relive the last. It was a joy to do that. And feel the love. I want sex. So do I, but I see no reason to drag you into On the Married with Children reunion, be a part of TV history at a special time, 7.30 tonight on Fox.
0: It, it feels like kind of a magical moment, at least for our show, that like a 300th episode of anything is insane. and yeah. and And then a TV reunion of Fox at this point other than Cops or America's Most Wanted, has got to be its second most long running scripted show, too. Uh, basically celebrating its legacy from birth to now in one night after King of the Hill, of course. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Simpsons retrospective and the 300th episode. That is actually the 302nd, and it's somehow a joke acknowledged in the episode cuz Marge's line after that it's 300 mom and Lisa clicks 300 she's like it feels like 302 i don't know why because the production order got messed up the 300th <laughs> episode had already aired but this was a uh, oh i didn't write down the name of the episode barting something but the plot it's what barting it's
3: when marge becomes a weightlifter and gives uh like an infinity of oh i thought it was when court.
0: i read it was when uh Bart realizes he was a child star, and Homer stole all his residuals uh, oh, from his
3: commercials. Okay. I'm confusing the actual 300th episode mm-hmm. with the 302nd episode. You're right.
0: I, I just know I remember, yeah, I'm going to tune in for this. This is one of my favorite shows ever, and I kind of go on and off with The Simpsons. I'm not living at home anymore. Who knows what kind of cable I have, but I made sure to tune Yeah, I've been a part of the show's growth. I'm going to watch this. And I don't remember feeling anything other than that. I did want to report to JR that I managed to catch a couple episodes of Clone High, which... Unlike the yes. s- the start of our show has disappeared from YouTube and has officially gone over to Paramount Plus in uh, at least a remastered me. form. You
3: know, I made Clone High made it so popular with America that Paramount was like, "Get this off of YouTube. I put mean, it on the mount. The, mount. the mountain <laughs> of content." I think even if that's not true,
0: it still speaks to the desperation of that streaming platform. <laughs> what if we put Clone <laughs> High on? We'll get people to subscribe then, but at least it looks good and as far as I can tell like That sounds like licensed music, so like they're keeping that intact, and that's cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But yeah, yeah, it was a good show. I am in love with the JFK character. Um, I cannot get enough of frat, frat, (laughs) frat asshole JFK. Uh, But yeah, Clone High. We are said report ends technically. This week with changes, the big prom, colon, the big sex prom, colon, the series, the season finale.
3: (laughs) Uh, But it's a good season finale for Clone High. And it's actually a really fabulous series finale for the show. Because uh, at the end of this episode, the Joan Abraham Lincoln love triangle with Cleopatra gets resolved. But they are all frozen in a freezer, so they can be unthawed at any point in time, which is going to be 21 years wow. later,
2: because it is coming back, that y'all. Is it ahead. is coming back. Yep, coming back this year on HBO+. Plus. Yep. They've confirmed they, they haven't said anything about what they're doing, what their plans are, whether or not Gandhi is going to remain as a character. No, no
3: they confirmed Gandhi is going to be a cameo, but will not be a character. And probably, voiced sad. by a white guy? Gandhi was a fabulous character. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Little
2: party nerd Gandhi. And then, <laughs> Getting drunk on non alcoholic beer.
3: <laughs>
0: lastly, this week, uh, we have Six Feet Under the season three of debut, Perfect Circles. And is this the episode I'm thinking of? Because at this point, because of Sopranos, we were watching HBO Sunday night in groups at the one person's house whose parents paid for their HBO. And this, is this the episode I'm thinking of that does a little bit of a spin in the beginning? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, this is the episode where we see Nate's death dream or death vision. He goes through a whole bunch of alternate realities where he's dead, where he's mentally impaired for life, where he's married to one person, where he's married to another person, and for 2003, it was some creepy stuff for me, and it was (laughs) blowing 2003 JR's mind. I don't remember
0: what got the louder response, because every episode of Six Feet Under begins with a death, but it rarely is anybody in the orbit of the Fisher family, and it's Nate who has diagnosed with some weird brain disease I don't remember and goes is this where he goes under the knife and he dies on the table Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they show shit this opened with the death of the main character and then goes through all that and then he's brought back to life and they remove (laughs) they remove the uh, 2003 at the end of it and I think that got the bitter
4: oh
2: what (laughs) why
3: do do this to us holy shit
2: sorry his death date's been erased we're moving on
3: And I thought that was a brilliant thing. I mean, for one thing, Six Feet Under is one of the rare shows that examines death. Cultures Mm -hmm. generally don't want to examine death uh, because it's not a pleasant thing for people. And have an entire TV show be about it was, like, very brave at the time. And it's still brave today. I can't think of any shows today that really examine death the way Six Feet Under did. Yeah.
0: And yep. even even the things did, that weren't death were things I di- I didn't see examined a lot on television anyway. So, uh, right. hats off mm-hmm. to Six Feet Under all the time, all, always in my opinion. Oh
2: yeah, that that was a, a really good rewatch mm-hmm. during the pandemic, and yeah, uh, yeah w- and I've done Clone High too. There's a bunch of things I said I was going to watch I haven't done,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I, I did was, watch
2: all of Clone High and I loved
0: it. I was heartened to see like Googling this episode like. There's a bunch of Redditors talking about this episode as of like, you know, pandemic era. Like, people, this show is still thoroughly enjoyable to people. And I think I personally was shocked because I remembered it as this, a saga about a family, but there is mostly it's about like their endeavors in the death business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes it, yeah. know, people move out of the well, house and it just does, it just involves drama.
2: Yeah, sometimes it's family business. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's internal drama and people's psychological problems and dealing with each other. And yeah, there's so much. Oh, my God, it's so good. It was, yeah. So yeah. Much, it was better than I remembered it, honestly, mm-hmm. on rewatch.
3: But uh, yeah, that that death sequence stuck Oof. with me in, in my own personal time when I when I had like a vision of death. It well, was just like very, very powerful. Well, how
0: about I ask this question to you and maybe lightly to our audience. Oh, I love... I, I'm not a sports guy, so when when I can, I would I love watching shows with friends. And that kind of went out with Game of Thrones. That was kind of the last hurrah of
3: watching shows with friends. The finale of Game of Thrones is literally the last time I watched a television show with friends. All the other ever since then, it's only been with my wife or by myself. Yeah, or or
0: like now Mm -hmm. I do, I have something like that with my girlfriend and maybe her kids, but like, it's usually someone I'm intimately involved with, but not multiple people. And I fucking Mm missed that because thinking about the Six Feet Under episode, because I didn't watch that alone at all of the entire run of the show. Every Sunday we'd get together and make dinner for friends and bring dinner or something and watch some, uh, (laughs) what do you call it? Premium television, prestige television. Yeah and yeah that's kind of all gone away even the show i'm watching now with my girl i had to like hide from her that i let the autoplay play and was like four episodes ahead of her and had to spend like 3 hours oh that's a shock on <laughs> poker face uh oh but yeah yeah i was wondering when if people still do that cuz you should you should group group viewings yeah. are good talking about content uh, afterwards is something i still do but like not necessarily for on a weekly basis for television um but yeah miss it miss it and i know i can imagine both of you have done it a lot less since the pandemic it's not just age yeah yeah
2: no haven't done that in a while also sometimes i get annoyed because the more people there are the harder it is to hear even with uh, Subtitles. captions on so sometimes it's like okay we watch it and that was fun and then i gotta go back and watch it again
0: my girl was so mad at our at a super bowl viewing we went to and i was just there to see the end of the m&m saga but <laughs> but she only wanted to see i just want to see the rihanna special and people talked over it and she is still unhappy about it mentions <laughs> it every day like it's online baby um <laughs> moving into games of 2003 uh feb 24th through march 2nd indiana jones and the emperor's tomb and indiana jones games like forgot about it completely uh 10 years yeah, after something like x-wing
3: it's Xbox. a solid tomb raider ripoff mm-hmm. i mean it is i mean i know tomb raider ripped off indiana jones but not in gameplay because indiana yeah. jones hadn't had any good games and uh this is very much you know why don't we just copy tomb raider and except for do you, it you like fate of atlantis but it's, it's Fate of Atlantis is an adventure game. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's uh, difficult so to trans- that's an excellent game. It's difficult to right.
0: translate Indies Whip to anything other you swing from right. as a weapon in a game. And I'm not I sure. I should have said
3: he doesn't have any good action games. Yeah. He does have excellent adventure games. Both Last Crusade and Fate of Atlantis are fabulous. But adventure games, I've played a lot of them. I'm not sure one. Sorry, action games, I'm not sure I can say. There is a good Indiana Jones action games, which is why I'm so excited for the Bethesda Indiana Jones game to right. finally come out. That's 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 my dream, y'all.
0: And this is a lot of action. I'm shocked to report it's still available. You can buy it on Steam. Uh, huh. It has made it there. Hmm. It is currently, as I'm recording this, two dollars or <laughs> six dollars in the Indiana Jones bundle, seventy four percent off. Hooray! <laughs> uh, Master of Orion is out on PC. Part three. so this is
3: civilization in space Ah, it was very much mm. designed to be like well what if instead of trying to conquer the world you're trying to conquer the galaxy and the master of orion series is solid but it has been blown out of the sky by stellaris stellaris has just completely eaten its lunch in the 4x space genre Mm.
0: And I have equally little to say about Praetorians for PC.
3: It's a real-time strategy game uh, where you play the Romans and you conquer (laughs) stuff. It got a remake recently, so it must be decently popular all right well that about wraps up
0: our two, uh, 2003 segment uh, it's not our fault it's brief blame uh, the release schedule not a lot of uh, new stuff out this week we'll close out with mesmerized by Jaw Rule featuring Ashanti because it's on the charts this week but stay right there we gotta zoom 10 years in the future and close out 30 2010's episode with 2013 don't move it's
1: crazy but baby I Do when I'm
4: with you baby
5: Girl, stay, those eyes I
0: Hello fellow nerf herders, did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-host Jeremy and Adam beg to differ, except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars with a big giant question mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash Here's a little taste.
4: My country.
0: There was no internet in 1980 blah 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 Uh, but I I wanted to find people's reactions to Empire Strikes Back because yeah it's the the twist man what was it what was it when people walk at a theater how were people talking about this and it's one it's really weird the only cool record we have of this is Starlog Magazine allowed people to write in and you can find those on archive.org and that remains the closest thing we have to a comment thread about Empire Strikes Back when it comes out. But what we did have was wonderful, wonderful news stories. They have audience reactions of people coming out of the theater.
4: Although the critics are disappointed, consumers looking for an escape into fantasy this summer will have the last word. It left me confused. I <laughs> didn't understand any of it. Special effects were tremendous.
3: Really enjoyed it. Oh, I
1: thought it was pretty good. I didn't like the ending. It could have been a better ending.
3: Get fucked, Lee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's Sick of Star Wars available exclusively at patreon.com slash lasertime along with weekly bonus shows, over a hundred movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper.
2: This is so wizarding. Hello, Mr. And Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And aim for the week of February 24th through March 2nd, we got a little something for everybody. Well, let's start with for kids. Turning 50 this week is the first question mark uh, animated version of Charlotte's Web, which holds up pretty dang well, even though it's Hanna-Barbera and they kind of suck. But it's got, yeah, Debbie Reynolds and like Henry Gibson and Paul Lynde and a lot of other people that kids aren't going to recognize and are dead now, but it's it's a very gentle adaptation of the, you know, classic E.B. White book, and I haven't seen the more recent one that's got, like, the live-action animals, but it's animated go. Yeah, Charlotte's Web, uh, that's pretty solid. Also, kind of for kids, kind of for let's go with families, turning 70 this week is Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, which is a... <laughs> French comedy uh, written, directed, and starring Jacques Tati. I think kids might like it, honestly, because it's almost a silent comedy. It's pretty much just about this well meaning but kind of doofusy guy walking around and having, you know, making mistakes and being clumsy. So, it's sort of like French Mr. Bean. Not quite as extreme, but it's just, it's a very gentle, sweet, fairly silent comedy. And uh, yeah, from 1953, I think people probably like it. If you haven't checked it out, Criterion's got a nice edition out. Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, or Les vacances de Monsieur Hulot. Then, for more grown up fare, turning 60 this week is Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, which, if you've never seen a non-samurai Akira Kurosawa movie, this is a good one, because it's still got Toshiro Mifune. It's, uh... <clears throat> it's a uh, hostage sort of drama like a businessman's son is kidnapped and then there's a whole thing about whether he should pay the ransom and there's problems in his company and it very vaguely remade his ransom uh with Mel Gibson a bunch of years back but high and low modern day Toshiro Mifune you know color Akira Kurosawa movie really really solid tense exciting guy knew what he was freaking doing and then also this week sort of because it's really hard to nail down actual release dates of Orson Welles movies at this time because they were um, they were hard to finance and hard to get finished and hard to release because he was doing it all himself and just getting little bits of money from here and there. But seriously, one of Orson Welles' massively underrated films, The Trial from 1962-1963, adaptation of the Kafka book starring Anthony Perkins, Jean Moreau, Romy Schneider. Oh my God, this movie is so good. It's another one of these like, I, I should watch more Orson Welles movies. I, I, I Give it a try. I haven't seen, like, his later stuff. And then I watch it. I'm like, why isn't everyone talking about this all the time? I don't know where they... I think they filmed a lot of it in West Germany. So it, there's lots of these very modernist-looking buildings, sort of international-style buildings. And I think they shot in Yugoslavia. So they've sort of designed this sort of old-world decadent, but also, like, modernist communist. And it's just about poor Anthony Perkins. Um being stuck in a shall we say kafka-esque situation that uh it's very frustrating and nothing makes sense and there's a lot of bureaucracy and he just wants answers and he's never ever going to get them because kafka so yeah the trial from 1962 huge recommend it is a trippy ass movie and that's it for this week stay classic
4: Harlem
0: Shake. We're late to the meme, but coming in with Harlem Shake by Bauer, because it's number one this week on the charts. I don't remember this being an actual song at all. It's just a thing people put <laughs> in viral videos. The Harlem Shake, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to 2013. Twenty years, ago, Ten years ago, the Harlem Shake was sweeping the whatever Twitter's video platform was. Twitvid? I can't remember quick pick uh yeah other new releases this week include the albums amok by adams for peace which is basically the red hot chili peppers with tom york <laughs> what never what? heard of this uh, the the psychic world of walter reed by kill a priest earth Wind and fire by capadonna that's confusing in time by the mavericks and sacrifice by saxon saxon um yes welcome to 2013 everyone 2013, we've got some fun news to bring you in. Raul Castro was elected to a second term as the president of Cuba.
3: Yeah. So uh, when I attended Havana University, um, I, I talked to the bit. Cuban students there. And it's basically the Harvard of Cuba. These are all children of the elites. And I always asked. I was there under Castro, and I always asked them, so what do you think the future holds for us? And they always said, after Castro, Castro meaning that once Fidel was too old or died or whatever, his brother was going to take her over. And that is 100% what happened. Uh, yep. Raul Castro basically ruled until 2021 when he retired because he got too old, basically. And, uh, you know, he was just as much of a tyrant and a dictator as his brother, and Cuba's still poor. And if you want a amazing documentary, I highly, highly recommend Cuba and the Cameraman. It's on Netflix. It's a cameraman who spends about 40 years recording Cuba. And he goes back and he visits the same people decade after decade. And you can see how uh, the Cuban people have been just ground down uh, by communism.
0: Also this week, I, I don't have any other further information. South Korea has its first female president elected in a... Park Guinn and the Pope resigns. Did that happen last week? Or did he announced it was happening. Yeah, Pope
2: um, already resigned.
0: Yeah, uh, but he officially steps down this week. And yeah. uh, in, in sillier news, the brains of two rats success are successfully connected so that they can share information. Terrifying.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this was this was done at Duke University in North Carolina, and there was one rat in North Carolina and another Whoa, rat what? in Brazil. And the rats were sharing information over the internet, and they were able to solve simple tasks. Jesus, great. I know, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the researchers were like, this is really going to pave the way for more brain communication. And it kind of hasn't. I mean, that that didn't really go anywhere. Mm. Well,
2: according to the documentary starring Steve Martin, Man with Two Brains... (laughs)
3: <laughs> really, it's all about
2: stopping serial killer Merv Griffin.
0: And,
1: if
2: the rats can do that. And I haven't heard about him killing anyone in a while, so I think the rats have accomplished it. And
0: and I don't <laughs> want to call this fun, but it did send me down a rabbit hole because I, I, have to, I had to deal with something as someone growing up in Florida that you've never dealt with. And I'm not talking about hurricanes as a natural disaster. The sinkhole. Sinkhole. Florida is built on a bed of limestone with a constantly flowing aquifer going through it. It occasionally chips away in massive... F- holes in the ground come and suck up a lot of times it there's a lake near my parents house a massive miles wide lake multiple sinkholes will open and like decimate the, the lake is just gone it's a pile of mud for for years like the, this week a florida man it's very weird for a human being to get caught directly in one of these that is vi- like so unlucky <laughs> cause it's not a tornado. It's not traveling and it's not moving. You're not in the path of it. You have to be so unlucky. And this guy was Jeff Bush in Florida sucked into a sinkhole that came underneath his bedroom directly while sleeping. And they never <laughs> recovered. And it, the, to, to tell you like how, cause we grew up swimming in sinkholes cause they, they are sometimes the freshest, coolest water you can find, but their, their depth is sometimes like hard to know. They never recovered his body. And it, because that's how deep the hole went. It's just like, there's, he's not coming out and there's no way we're sending people in. And
3: Jesus. <laughs> I mean, if you were that guy, wouldn't your last thought be, cool! God hates me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has to feel like that. <laughs> Maybe he I'm didn't... sleeping in my bed and now the earth is swallowing me. Have I died and gone to hell? He lived in
0: a house with a family in it. They all got out. It was just his bedroom that got sucked up <laughs> so completely. And, oh gosh. And and just you see it in movies where like hell opens up but like I lived amongst that stuff. It still happens, but not they not oh, they don't know where it's going to happen necessarily, but it just so rarely happens underneath a human being that I think there's like dozens of sinkhole deaths across all time. Uh just have to be so unlucky. But anyway, moving into the movies of 2013, February 24th through March 2nd. Woo, Lucas Till, Aldrin Einrich, uh, Jackie Weaver, Dermot Mulroney, Matthew Good, Nicole Kidman, and Mia uh, Wasikowska. Wasikowska. Ooh, you pretty
2: S- much got it again. Stoker. Ah, oh, Stoker. This is a good one. I this thought it was is, Burt Reynolds. Uh, that's
0: Stroker Ace.
2: That's Stroker Ace. Oh, I'm sorry. Man. And it's not Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> it's either. It's very confusing. Stoker. Um, no, this is a, a pan, uh, Park Chan Wook joint. Oh, the guy shit. who did Old Boy. Yeah. Um, we're seeing that's kind of the story, I feel like, of. This century in film is the emergence of South Korean cinema and yeah. it becoming more and more mainstream, working with Hollywood more and more. I didn't realize it's written by Wentworth Miller, the guy from Prison Break. What? I'm shocked because it is really good.
0: So is this is this Chembu Park just getting like a shot at a Hollywood film uh, or a project he shepherded somehow or found?
2: Uh, I'm not there. entirely sure, but I mean, it's his first English language film. It's his first. It's produced by Ridley Scott, wow. you know, it's, it's mainstream and it didn't, didn't do that. Well, I feel like it, it's one of those where it's like, this is such a small movie that it's probably just going to do better on streaming and video anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it debuted at Sundance and it was eventually theatrically released is it's real creepy though. I mean, if you're coming in for old boy, it's not that it is very Hitchcock yeah. specifically shadow of a doubt. The setup is basically the same as shadow of a doubt where, Oh, Uncle Charlie is coming to town. I haven't heard much about Uncle Charlie. Oh, but he's such a great guy. Everyone loves Uncle Charlie. I'm pretty sure Uncle Charlie's a murderer, everybody. Yeah. Oh, sit down, honey. You're just a girl. You don't know about that. Oh, Uncle Charlie's a fucking murderer. Yeah, there... really tense. Everyone is really, really good in it. Damn. Um, total, total recommend for Stoker, especially if you're into like, yeah, old school Hitchcock.
0: Well, what about our submarine movie fans out there? Sean Patrick no. Flannery, William Fickner, David Duchovny, <laughs> and Ed Har-
2: Harris in Phantom. Phantom. Oh, man. I, this sounds like it comes from another universe. Like, how <laughs> did this... I don't know who produced this, but it sounds like nobody liked it or enjoyed watching it or enjoyed making it. Because it's about... Uh, a Soviet sub is, like, given a mission, they gotta go do this thing, but it turns out, like, that's not really the mission. This, this is, like, some sort of rogue group has basically hijacked the sub now, and now Cap Mid-Harris has to, like, stop them? What? Yeah. To hijack a sub. I know. Super
0: villain shit. I mean,
2: it's, like, vaguely based on a real thing that happened where the sub got uh, sunk, um, and then they had to, like, try to rescue it and stuff. Wow, no one had anything nice to say about Phantom.
0: But Sorry. How about maybe Michael Gambon and Pauline Collins, Billy Connolly and Tom Courtenay and Maggie Smith and Quartet?
2: Quartet? Best exotic opera singer's hotel. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally what it is. The directorial debut of Dustin Hoffman, though. I don't know why he picked such a British-ass movie. uh, Written by the playwright who wrote The Dresser. But, yeah, it's pretty much that. Including having Maggie Smith there. That It's like this retirement home for classical musicians and opera singers. And then, like, oh, no, they're almost out of money. We better put on a show. But also, like... (laughs) I worked with you 40 years ago and you stole my husband and I'm mad at you and you know, dealing with character stuff with all these super classy character actors supposed to be. All right. It's fine. Charming. I'm I'll pretty much show up for Maggie Smith anytime. I don't care.
0: Yeah. Um, You know,
2: I I never feel like she's wasting my time. Even if it's just fine.
0: We will need a horror fan to weigh in further (laughs) on the last exorcism part two, very confusing title. Uh, Judd Lorman, (laughs) Lewis Herthman, Muse, Watson, Spencer Treat, Clark, Ashley Bell, a sequel to a movie I did not see or that wasn't reviewed well but performed well enough to get a sequel but this performed uh, not well enough to cancel a
3: trilogy potential trilogy (laughs) Uh, I I was really looking for last Exorcism Part 3, Exorcism Harder Uh, and then,
2: uh, yeah, no, uh, it's not a found footage movie like the first one. Um, so that helps no. if he gets he sick. Mm-hmm. Co written by Damien Chazelle yeah. in like his first Hollywoodish type thing, yeah. who would go on with the star of the next movie a to year make before Whiplash. One. Wow, yeah. And, it, and we're about to talk about a Miles, Tell- Miles Teller movie.
0: So yes,
2: it all comes together, baby. I mean, yes,
0: because next up.
2: up damien
0: next up this week is <laughs> uh, dustin birba yabara uh, Ybarra, uh da- danielle bucco jonathan Kelts. i was really hoping it was jonathan katz Francois washout Fra- sarah wright skylar Aston, uh justin Chan, and miles teller in 21 and over happy birthday i can't go out tonight i have my med school interview tomorrow morning this is your 21st birthday just one beer
4: still breathing right who cares get down immediately what are you doing he's getting down I'll
3: be 21 forever. i feel really alert right now i feel like spider-man
4: 21 and over oh
3: my
0: god this film is not yet rated uh probably rated r because it comes from us from the, the directorial debut of the hangover writers uh-huh.
3: so a lot of time with watching modern films about college students or even high school students, I can't get into it. Mm -hmm. This one actually pulled me in. And the reason for that is because this has humans as the characters. And most college age or high school movies I see, they're not actually humans. There's these like alien creatures dressed as humans. But this is like (laughs) real human beings going through real problems. It's actually... It is a wackety-schmackety, comedy of errors, gross out, the most crazy 21-year-old party you can ever imagine. But everyone involved is actually going through real-life stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the Asian student who everyone just assumes is smart because he's Asian is actually failing his classes and he feels really bad about that. And he's disappointing his father. And you've got these two friends who were friends in high school and they've grown power in college and they're getting back together. But they're also kind of like, why are we getting back together? Are we still really friends? It's some actual human drama in between the wacky schmackety, which is fun. The wacky schmacky stuff is actually good laugh-out jokes. This is actually a, a big recommend for me. I was surprised.
2: Wow, I I am surprised. I I admit I didn't finish it. I got about halfway through it, and I was like, I feel like I got the flavor of this. Just mm. the most of the jokes were just not impressing me. Mm. It was like there's a couple that gets a chuckle, but a lot of them is like, you're trying too hard right now. Like I can see you sweating to try to get this joke off the ground. We just watched and Old School. Oh, goodness. we just watching old school it was like, oh, God, well, here we are again. But it's, yeah, it's tough to you have to compare them. Because there is both, the, you know,
0: there is there's probably rampages. humor to be mined in the silly ritual we have Americans specifically have of our 21st birthdays. Because if you grew up like me and a bunch of other people I know across the country, if you grew up in a small town, all you had to do was drink uh mm. before, you know, internet and okay. things based on do other interests. either
3: of you two have 21 er stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but th- 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 there's, there's always yeah. there's always a ritual behind it. I, I eschewed the like, dude, I'm not gonna get so fucking hammered. I basically celebrated it for weeks just in that like I can buy I can buy this now. Because I don't know how we ended up scoring booze four years before that, but we always Hey, Mister! Stealing it. Uh, we always ended up doing it, stealing like getting booze somehow. But like the idea that we didn't have to risk our freedom to do it, to do it was felt like worthy of celebration. But I remember for like other people, like let's get this dude hammered. Like I promise, I'll drink liquor on my twenty first birthday. And like, why did we put so much importance on this? Because I I wasn't like a, a celebrator of a lot of holidays, like now where I love Halloween and Christmas. It was like a youthful holiday for a lot of people, the twenty, the turning 21 thing. And I can see how you get back together with friends, because there were certain friends I hadn't drank with in a while. Like, let's do this for real at a bar. Like adults. <laughs> like, I, I can see that. It's one of the weirder rite of passages you have without your parents as a kid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My 21st birthday was a major letdown. Yeah. Because... I had been in Europe until around July 4th and my birthday is two and a half weeks later. (laughs) So I had been drinking legally and having a wonderful time for over a year, going to pubs, going, buying my own booze. I can do whatever I want because drinking age is not 21 in England. So then I get back and okay, there's no pubs (laughs) and I can't go out and I got to wait for like two and a half weeks until I'm legal again. I was like, well, that was disappointing, and then I just like got a glass of wine with dinner. And we went out to dinner, and I'm like, oh. "Yay, I can do this!"
0: Yeah, that's that's big the
2: fucking deal.
0: That's right, because I was my... on. I was I'm on the earlier spectrum than a lot of my friends, and you kind of have to wait until everybody is 21. The last person to turn 21 gets the big fucking hurrah. Yeah, sorry, you go ahead, Jeremy.
3: My birthday always fell on my finals at university. Jesus,
1: oh fuck! Yeah,
3: so it was like. It's my 21 birthday. Tomorrow I have to take a test that determines if I graduate or not <laughs> on time. So, all right. I think I had like two beers, mm-hmm. maybe. And then I was like, I I'm not in a movie, guys. I need to pass this test tomorrow. Good night. Actually, actually, <laughs> so. weirdly,
0: I we found my parents found some analog photomographs like just two years ago and put them in an album for me like what is this and it's just me and multiple gas stations holding up shitty beer and pointing at it and it just took me a second this is my (laughs) ex-girlfriend showing all the places i can legally we took pictures of it we did document it and and i think bought way more than we could drink of the cheapest shittiest three dollars for 12 kind of beer because that's what we were into at the time uh yeah goddamn all right um yeah, I'd tell us your 21 and over stories, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Uh, if you got something interesting. Because I just remember one guy, it's me, Sarah's ex. We got him so drunk he was puking into a trash can, and then he just got the idea: like, I'm going to drink from the trash can. And, and he was bigger oh! than all of us, and it was really hard to get the trash can away from him. Oh. <laughs> he's sitting, yeah, he's lying down in the front yard puking in a trash anyway, anyway. Uh, Anyway, lastly, number one at the box office, John Kassir, uh, Eddie Marson, Ian McShane, Billy Nye, Ian McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Eleanor Tomlinson, and Nicholas Holt. It's number one at the box office, for whatever reason, Jack the Giant Slayer. Fade!
4: Fire! Foam! You're expecting someone?
1: The legends are true.
4: Prepare for battle! Fire! ready here comes the thunder that worked out better than i expected jack the giant slayer this film is not yet rated in real d3d and imax 3d march 1st this movie um
3: (laughs) what was going
2: on sick of these Yeah, What was
3: going on? Because we talked about those two Snow White movies. That is what's going on.
0: I think right now...
2: I I still blame Alice in Wonderland. That thing made so much money. It is true. But we had two Snow Whites. We had a Red Riding Hood. We had a Hansel and Gretel that's actually really funny, but it's not meant to be. And and next week we have another one that's like a modern... I mean, it's a book, but it's basically but a fairy I think, tale. It's just, why? I, because I it's a known quantity.
0: Exactly. It, because we are entering Ooh. the area of, of Marvel Studio, and to a lesser extent, DC Studio dominance. And I think the message became, people want their stories retold, but maybe a, maybe a little more Lord of the Ringsy or adults. So we can take these public domain, medieval fairy tales, and these action directors, like... Brian Singer can abandon X-Men, the property he shepherded, and maybe make his own franchise out of this classic story that has name recognition. And even though they changed the fucking name in every territory, this is Jack the Giant Killer in the UK, I think. But it is very much a traditional, let's call it a folk tale. And I was bored to tears trying to watch this. (laughs) We know how this is going to go. There's no need to make this Lord of the Rings-ish. And I think the appetite wasn't as much as people envision I think Disney got a lot more out of it because they had more established fairy tale stuff to mine the background of but like not so much here and stuff like Gulliver's travels we talked about last year I think those were mm-hmm. that was Hollywood's attempt they just want something recognizable a bankable property and here we go we don't have to pay the we don't have to pay an author for this no one's estate is pay- being paid for this
2: hooray no and it's <laughs> but the problem is like the story is really short so we got to pad it out yeah. with like mythos and characters and there's got to be like a king and a princess and then she gets kidnapped and they gotta trying to get and then it turns out there's like this magic crown that you can use to control the giants and we're gonna go up to the giant world and there's all these different giants and they're all mo-capped and they worked really hard on that and I'm so bored. And,
0: and, and JR, like for you, with someone with kids, what is the cultural resonance with kids of these air quotes classic tales that, like, very little? Right? Okay. I They to think. They,
5: it,
3: it, they did not grow up on these fairy tales as much as I did. Um, yeah. I, and, but I feel like the cultural resonance is like three levels removed. Like they grew <laughs> up on cartoons references yes them, but they're usually not always referencing the fairy tales directly but referencing the disney version of yeah. the fairy tales like uh the mickey and the beanstalk yeah. or whatever i would say has more uh cultural relevance than the actual fairy right. tale or, or ren
0: and stimpy doing rapunzel like i don't think i right. saw a more famous version of rapunzel than that ren and stimpy episode where stimpy's nose hair is what he climbs up yeah. yeah, it was It was like the <laughs> resonance of a former generation. Like, we all know these stories, and like, I'm not sure kids do now. I, if they do, I don't know where they would have been because a lot of the shit is dark. But your Hansel and Gretel mm. movies, those are made for like everyone's awareness cut off at our generation. Because <laughs> I don't know yeah. if sh- there was a Shelley Duvall out there presenting horrific pal versions of these fairy tales to children of well, the think,
2: 2000s. Honestly, I think the answer is that a lot of these fairy tales can't sustain an entire movie and so you should take a couple of them and schmoosh them together and end up with a a Shrek or Puss in Boots movie, which I just watched the new one Puss in Boots movie and it is wonderful. It's astonishing. It's very good. And I I love the idea that there is a character who's mad because he is not a fairy tale, he's a nursery rhyme. and (laughs) (laughs) He's got a big chip on his shoulder because of it. Wonderful movie. But yeah, it's it's the same thing where it's got a couple nursery rhymes and fairy tales mushed in there together because goldilocks is not a two-hour story that's why
0: yeah (laughs) yeah and i but even then i grew up more with like the the 1940s looney tunes version of that than i did a lot of straight renditions of that um yeah
2: yeah Uh, no this is just no it's just such a waste it's such a waste of everyone's time and money
0: it's why are you doing this why are you doing this? I, yeah, because because at this time uh, Brian Singer could do no wrong, even though he was doing yeah. lots of wrong behind the scenes. Yeah.
2: Oh no! I mean, Christopher McQuarrie's got a screenplay credit on it, so it's, yeah, it's reteaming from the Usable Suspects and Valkyrie. That's great, everybody. Oh, mm. why? Why are you doing this? I hate you.
0: Let's move. Actually,
2: speaking of why are you doing this, mm-hmm. I said that about the next thing too. The, the Oscars. Oscars?
0: <laughs> well let's go jumping into tv of uh 2013 10 years ago february 24th through march 2nd we have the 85th annual academy awards hosted by one of the weirdest choices i can imagine but i didn't think it was that bad
2: i have one solid complaint and, and we'll get to that but yes hosted by seth MacFarlane, seth MacFarlane. and he's a guy who loves old style entertainment yeah and so i was actually hopeful like We're going to get some old-style entertainment and probably a couple tasteless, you know, jokes. And you did. (laughs) And, yeah, why are you doing this uh, moment? I saw
3: your boobs. Yeah. Yes. We saw your boobs. Why
2: are you doing this? You're doing a song and dance number pointing to every actress in the audience and talking about the times you saw their boobs on screen. (sighs) Why?
0: I understand that it's tasteless. I wouldn't do it. Still something I objectively find funny about the act of doing it. (laughs) Mm. I don't know why. Why? because it's something. As a younger person, I was definitely thinking it.
2: Uh,
0: sorry, well, sorry.
2: Where I don't want to well, come to the fence. this. I saw your butt, or I saw your dick number. Oh, that'd be man. great. That'd be great. That would have been great. You, if, if you he, do both, if
0: you had just cool. one refrain of "saw your butt," I don't think anybody it'd still hold up. We yep. we saw your Kevin Bacon. We saw your Ben Affleck. We saw your cock, Harvey Keitel, yep. and then he gets like a, <laughs> a bunch of people come out with a picture of Harvey Keitel. Because he loves showing his dick. <laughs> um, Ewan McGregor, I've seen his dick multiple times. I can oh go on. God. Yep. I'm a living Mr. Skin. I don't need Mr. Skin at all. But uh, Argo.
2: Yeah.
0: Argo, fuck yourself. Argo.
2: Uh
0: Winning yep. over. Argo takes
2: Best Picture, even though it's not nominated for Best Director. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ang Lee won Best Director for Life of Pi. We talked about that. Probably deserved it.
0: Probably deserved. Uh, that or Django, I yeah. would have picked over. Even Beast of the yeah. Southern Wild, beautiful film.
2: Yeah, Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, uh, Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. And she tripped on her way up because she's wearing a big dress. That was pretty charming.
0: (laughs) And got spooked by Jack Nicholson. I think that was the same. He came up behind (laughs) her while she's holding an Oscar and just freaks her out. It's hilarious.
2: Yeah. I did not realize uh, Best Supporting Actor this year is the first time that all of the nominees in an acting category have all already won one. Really? uh christoph wants right christoph waltz won for django and chain but he's up against alan Arkin, and robert de niro and silver linings playbook philip seymour hoffman and the master and tommy lee jones and lincoln i feel like that should have gone to the master but okay right yeah again they all have one already so they're fine and happy one for les miserables uh just as the backlash on her just was starting people are already like she's too cute i can't take it
0: and and I, I, I just her. have a fond Man. remembrance of the best animated short film, and I don't remember. I don't. I just remember how much I liked Paper Man, but it was. Oh yeah. It felt like Disney reinvesting in younger animators and different kinds of short form stuff. And to this day, you still see really cool short form stuff that comes out on the internet or the Disney Channel or Disney Plus. Where they kind of abandoned short-form content. And now it's, yeah, it can be this cool breeding ground for up-and-coming animators or people already on your D- Disney or Pixar team. Never stop. Never stop. Yep. Um, and that's
2: where The Simpsons got their Oscar nomination in that category. Yeah. Too. The longest daycare.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. And, uh, but with that, let's get into some real.
2: Oh, oh I should point out, um, the honorary Oscars this year, mm-hmm. George Stevens Jr., so you know, producer, mm-hmm. uh, D.A. Pennebaker, amazing documentary filmmaker, and Chris, your favorite. I'll
0: need him. Hell yeah! I'll need him. They
2: gave him an Oscar.
0: Good, good. He he deserved. For
2: crashing cars with Burt Reynolds.
0: Exactly, making basically action Adam Sandler movies throughout the '60s, late '60s, '70s, and early '80s. Uh, He was the best. Friends making bad movies that are constantly make me smile to this day.
3: Did we ever get a Adam Sandler Burt Reynolds team up? No. Not not unless you
0: include Norm Macdonald's impression.
3: Ooh, that would <laughs> no. be good. That would have been good.
0: It would. It would. And um, I all, It's once again where, once again where I think thirty twenty ten leads the charge in the pleas. make a stunt category. There are more. Yep. There yes. are plenty of stunts that deserve recognition. It's not a genre. It should be put it in the sound mixing category if you want. But there's plenty of people in a Fast and the Furious movie who deserve some kind of a, like industry accolade for something really cool being done. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm gonna save my favorite my favorite for last, but uh enlightened ends on h b o which yeah, this feels like a another aspect of the dawn of the streaming era h b o is the home for prestige television. everybody loves enlightened, but people aren't watching it, and there's nothing you can do in a world where subscribers are on the line and h b o canceled and I just remember the outcry was so incredible that kept promising it would come back, and I don't think it ever did
3: no, no, mm-hmm. it's a two season, and it. Constantly makes the list of underrated HBO shows. I mean, it's it's like the go-to one for that. And
0: I just got to say, at least HBO will give something garnering critical praise two seasons time to find an audience where even Netflix won't do now. Uh, And then, of course, stab at the olds, (laughs) the traditional TV watchers, the Bible, a TV movie miniseries. How quickly can you sum this up?
3: This was a ratings juggernaut. Both this was like right. the highest rated thing for the week. It just that White. the competition, oh. and it wasn't even close.
2: Oh, my God. So, Roma Downey and Mark Burnett, two people who we should think about shooting into space <laughs> for all of their many crimes, mm-hmm. um, got together and decided that they're a married couple. They produce a lot of stuff. So, yeah, 10-part mini-series of the Bible, by which I mean five episodes to cover the entire Old Testament and five episodes that are just the life of Jesus. <laughs> and they leave out a lot of stories from the Old Testament, oh, that yeah. I understand why they did not put it.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I want to make... I don't
2: see no Song of Solomon in here. God I want to
0: get the team of the Jim Henson people like, let's do all the stories the Bible didn't doesn't get dramatized. Like Jesus cursing this tree, fuck this fig tree, I'm, <laughs> I'm killing it. Um, <laughs> put some Muppets in there and I'll, I'll be happy. And it's it's weird. I still is it Peacock that I watched in the break of every every commercial break? They're pimping like this story of Jesus. I I followed the word of Moses. I am the word of Moses. And it's like it doesn't promote a streaming series. It promotes a fucking app, a standalone app that has Jesus episodes on it. Don't know what it is, can't even tell you, but still really popular with a certain sect of people, but not the most popular with me because one of my favorite, most funny TV shows, one of the funniest TV shows to come out in the last decade begins 10 years ago. And it's a shame it ever ended, but it coincides nicely with a recommended one of my new favorite TV shows, The Rehearsal. But of course, I'm talking about Nathan Fielder's Nathan For You, debuting on Comedy Central. Perhaps all the awkwardness of a curb your enthusiasm mixed with real people and a reality show as a man who graduated from a Canadian college with really good, pretty good grades, tries to help out a business with elaborate marketing plans. This, am I alone in this? Nathan for you is one of the funniest shows most people have never seen.
2: It it is so funny, but uh, it's like we talked about Black Mirror last week. Like, I can't binge this. It's too much. I, I, because every
1: woman each, I've showed this to, like, this is, is too so, uncomfortable.
2: It's so uncomfortable. And that, unlike, yeah, I, I have to take it one at a time.
0: Unlike a prankster, like a, your Ashton Kutcher and Punked, the host is adding to the awkwardness, is a solid believer in every idea. Oh, this car wash business is struggling. So I'm going to hire a fleet of chickens and exotic birds to shit everywhere on this street, put them in trees. <laughs> to get, And this is real. It's against real people and real businesses. And to me in this episode, I have a clip because it sums up what is so great about the episode. It's the first prank. It is to promote this local at Los Angeles yogurt store. We're going to announce a poo flavored yogurt and make it. And we're going to go to a real store a real scientist taste industry, develop a yogurt that absolutely authentically tastes like poo. We're going to focus test it against unwitting subjects. And then he's going to, Nathan, again, I cannot emphasize how great of a host he is because half the time at the end, he asks the person whether they want to hang out or not because he has a hard time communicating with people (laughs) and they end up insulting him. But he goes to a prestigious LA PR firm to try and get this written about in the paper, the poo-flavored yogurts.
5: I think if you really are considering implementing a shit-flavored ice cream, you should reconsider the entire campaign. So you disagree? Yeah, I think it's a poor idea. If you heard that a frozen yogurt shop Uh in your neighborhood had a poo flavor, you're saying you wouldn't go to check it out? No. There are better ways to get attention. I can come up with five off the top of my head. Okay. I'd like to hear one. Frozen yogurt-eating contest. Invite kids from all around the block to come and have a frozen yogurt-eating contest. Okay. I would not go to that. Next one. You know what you could do? You could fill a bucket full of shit frozen yogurt and put it on your head and then stand outside of the store with a sign that says, I don't know how to market a business, and see if people come. People could come with little spoons and they could... When I first came today, I had to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. and you lent me your keys. I did. And I saw that you drive a Porsche. I do. Don't they say people that drive nice cars maybe have... Small penises? Who says that? I think that's a known fact. Well, I can assure you that's not a known fact. How can you assure me? Do you, have you seen a lot of penises? Some. Some? Since you're a penis expert, I'm assuming? I'm not a penis expert. What You, are you just said that you're a penis expert. No, I said I've seen a few penises. I think I, think I haven't seen enough.
0: <laughs> His absolute awkwardness ends up drawing genuine darkness out of these unwitting subjects that's in a way like mean but it's some of its they're difficult to feel bad for like one of the guys just like oh we don't know that many jews were killed in the holocaust what like it's no. <laughs> just a reality show man you're just being pranked you don't have to oh pull this much on yourself but nathan for you so so fucking good we were talking about the local electronics business to fight best buy okay here's what you do you mark down all your TVs for a dollar and best buy will have to price match as is their price policy and will sneak in and buy all their one dollar televisions. Well, like, well, how how am I not supposed to sell my TVs for a dollar? And they decide they institute a formal tuxedo dress code in order to get in their store, and they hide them behind a living alligator. So that's how you can get his one dollar televisions. The show is great, unbelievably real, unbelievably awkward. I can't recommend it enough. It streams, I think, weirdly on HBO Max because they have Nathan's new show, The Rehearsal, which is fucking surreal I can't talk about it because it's not important to the dates of our show but it's one of my favorite shows of last year I've watched it almost twice now I can't wait to watch it again all
2: right well I'm glad you put this on my radar so we know next year when to talk about dumb Starbucks Starbucks. I think that's what everyone (laughs) has if you've seen a clip of Nathan for you it probably has to do with dumb Starbucks
0: dumb Starbucks because
2: fair use says that you can use Company logos and branding. If you're doing a parody, but
0: not, not to prolong it, but the next two episodes, he ended up doing things that go viral, that I aren't debunked for me as fake viral videos until these episodes premiere. Including, <laughs> if you saw the episode of the pig rescuing the goat in the water, I saw that. I saw that organically, and I had no idea it was a prank for this show that was <laughs> staged with direct like directors and professional pets. Uh, but we all mm. saw it as a viral video to promote a petting zoo. Uh, anyway, either for you, I can't recommend it enough. Anyway, moving on, we are almost done with the show. we got to tell you about our sole 2013 game, Toy Story Smash It for uh, Droid and iOS, a game I have never played. Um, and probably Basically we'll
3: like a 3D version of Angry Birds, except with the Toy Story things and you're breaking things.
0: Brilliant. I'm glad uh, there's no trademarks on video game ideas so we can have Toy Story smash in the world. Oh, God damn it. There's no idea Disney won't steal <laughs> and make a million dollars out of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, that almost concludes our show. We're going to tell you the people who died and a little quiz that's really fun for you to play out along with uh, about who lived, who was born during this. Uh, i'm on a roll baby but i gotta say thanks for listening patreon.com slash laser time throw us five bucks we'll give you a bunch of extra shows anything we can we're a smaller network and we do appreciate your support at any level but we pre- we're e- expressing the five dollar one because that's where all of our hundreds of bonus podcasts are including many things we talk about in this show elaborated and, and elongated we are flirting with doing another one weird one this week about theme parks and possibly Ant Man. I just saw Quantum Mania, but that's neither here. That's for ten years from now in thirty twenty ten. We'll talk about King the Conqueror. And uh, Die, where can folks find you at?
2: And they can find me on the Twitter at listening nerd l e c i n e n e r d, or follow the show at thirty twenty ten podcast. That's three zero two zero one zero podcast coming up next week. Well, uh, we have not quite a fairy tale movie, but we'll see what Sam Raimi can do with the Wizard of Oz. Oh boy. Oh, Those rights, I, I'm i going to just try not to talk about how complicated oh, the rights are on that. It's it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, and let's see. Also, Oh, Queen Latifah's bringing down the house. Hey! Hey! Box and, office um, I can't find it streaming. I'm already looking really hard because we have yeah, Samuel L. Jackson and Nicolas Cage made a comedy together with, like, one of the most unfortunate titles of all time. And I'm kind of surprised it still exists. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, my God. I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: It seems to be like a race from existence.
0: Oh, my God. I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Oh, Oh dear
3: God.
0: Oh, my God. I got to try and
3: find it. What a terrible title. I don't have a clue. But (laughs) next week, we also have the premiere of the best fictional show the History Channel ever made.
2: Oh, I think I know what it is. It is lightly based on reality, though.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's fiction. But it's, it's yeah. very fictional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also the premiere of <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow could be might as well be called Chris starts watching MTV.
2: Mm.
0: Oh, oh, uh, that's watching so the dog, watching the <laughs> dog.
2: Fire, <laughs> fire, fire. Frog baseball.
0: <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait to talk <laughs> about that. That is a fascinating <laughs> animation history. Whoa. Well anyway, uh die with that out of the way. Oh, also Video Game Apocalypse this week. Um, got a great episode for you talking about a bunch of fun stuff. Uh, listen to that Friday, whatever you get your podcast. If you like uh, me and people who are married to Diana. Um and <laughs> <laughs> die, who died this week?
2: Oh wow. man, I don't know. It's just the way that the, the weeks break out, but we lost a lot of people this week yeah. starting in 1993 with Ishiro Honda, who's 81. There aren't a lot of guys you can point to and say, that guy invented a genre. Ishiro Honda invented a genre called kaiju. Wow. That is the director of Godzilla, my friends. Now, there were giant animals attacking city movies before here and there, but they rarely had rubber suit guys fighting over a tiny town. Yeah. That man invented Godzilla and every Godzilla spit off. Wow. And every rip off and all of
0: them. And it's such a brilliant film. So wonderful. Just if you consider, like, the actual oh, the panic. One? Oh,
2: so oh the first Gojira is...
0: The like Japanese version, I'm sorry, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah, like a legitimate horror film. Yeah. Yeah. A- anyway, still in 1993, we lost Ruby Keeler, who was 82. She was a dancer going way back. I think that's her in 42nd Street. She was a ridiculous tap dancer. And also Lillian Gish, who was 99. Wow. star of, I mean, one of the biggest silent stars of all time.
0: Wow. We're, we still we had
2: still, them around.
0: still had silent stars around, around.
2: in the 90s. Yes. Wow. It's
0: fucking wow. crazy. Yeah, that's probably why I grew up with just a little, you know, my pinky toe when watching silent stuff, because it would still air on television. And there were still people you could talk about in retrospectives in the early 80s about the silent era. Wow. Yeah, 99.
2: 99. And oh. uh, finally we lost Louis Kuttner, who is the co-founder of Amnesty International. He was 84. That's just 1993, though. I'm not done yet. <laughs>
1: There's
2: a lot of done people. In 2003, we lost Hank Ballard, who was 75. Uh, one of the earliest recorders of what you could call rock and roll. Wow. I would say Hank Ballard in the mid- mid- Midnighters. Again, we mentioned Fred Rogers, who was 74. And in 2013, we lost Van Clyburn, who was 80. 80- uh, Van Clyburn was 78. Uh, he's one of the greatest pianists of all time. And C. Everett Koop, who is 96, the only... Fucking U.S. Surgeon General. Anybody knows.
0: Yes, he because he was interviewed by Ali G.
2: Because his <laughs> name was funny. That's why.
0: <laughs> it is a funny name. But Hank Ballard is a great, great name for a guy who records stuff.
3: It's got like
2: Ballard
0: yeah. in there. Oh, and Jr. With the desk out of the way, what do we have? It's time
3: for the
2: birthday
4: quiz.
0: Diana
3: once again this week.
2: Yeah. That's, you've been on a roll. You have, you've been on a roll. Let's see how we do.
3: Born February 26th, 1953, so turning 70 years old, still with so us. Close. All right. Born in New Haven, Connecticut. He described himself growing up as a rebel Jew, raised in a liberal interfaith family, where he had both a Hanukkah menorah and a Christmas tree. Um, He was (laughs) told he would be kicked out of Jewish school if he didn't stop making jokes.
2: Oh, come Um, on. It is the way of our people. Yeah. How dare you, sir? Uh,
0: There's no future to Jew telling jokes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He has been a vegetarian for the last 51 years. Wow. Wow. Although primarily known as a singer, he has appeared in 1998's The Nanny as himself. He appeared in 2002's Snow Dogs. What? He appeared in 2012's Two and a Half Men as himself in four episodes. He was in 2018's Teen Titans Go to the Movies as Tiger. (laughs) Although he is rumored to have been in Dune as Spice Eye drummer, he has stated in interviews that that is not him. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: man, I wish he I was. Can, con-
2: I keep picking people who I think are over 70, like Barry Manilow. No, he's got a no,
0: to, Not Tony Bennett. No, uh,
2: he's not Jewish.
3: We
0: don't know that.
2: Um, um,
3: he was on Dancing with the Stars, but man. he uh, got kicked off not kicked off. He he didn't win whatever you call him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sir, leave dancing with right. the stars. <laughs> um, I'm going to start naming his albums. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Okay, except for the ones that are self-titled because right. that wouldn't be fair. Everyday of my life, Everybody's Crazy, The Hunger, Soul Provider, Oh my god. Time god. Love and Tenderness, Oh, Timeless the Classics. Michael the Bolton? One thing Michael freaking Bolton. He's 70? I,
2: he's Jewish? He, he's ju-
3: uh. <laughs> Interfaith has, household. So,
2: all right. Yeah,
3: take that as you will.
2: Even better.
0: Michael Bolton, who has been kind of a fun guy to have, and just still in the pop culture zeitgeist, because his music I found insufferable in the 90s. <laughs> But he's sort of acknowledging that. And that goddamn Jack Sparrow song still cracks oh me God. the fuck up.
3: <laughs> that's, that's a work of genius. That is awesome.
0: Yeah. And he made a Valentine's Day special with a bunch of comedy folks for Netflix a while back and just has a good sense of humor about himself. And
3: He has th- said that he would love to be in the sequel to Office Space if they ever make it.
2: <laughs> oh. Okay. We We got to start a uh, GoFundMe for that then. I don't care how much it costs. Let's do this.
0: Wait till the show that premieres next week gets canceled on the streaming service it's currently on. And I'm sure he'll go back to that well
2: Uh... with the guy who sucks.
0: Um, Wow. Michael Bolton.
2: Good for him. Yeah, he's someone... I. He's easy to make fun of. I don't like his style of singing. I feel like he's... It always sounds like he's pushing too hard. Uh... But I like his taste like the things that he's covered like well that's a good song i just prefer someone else's version yes. of it
0: i just like thinking michael bolton is a mad cinephile <laughs> <laughs> Aaron brokovich is my name uh <laughs> it's very good sorry my favorite thing he's ever done is a sketch parodying himself uh yeah. but yes happy birthday to michael bolton i don't know if any of us would have gotten that um at all especially from his Appearances, Jesus! Because I, I rarely ever saw him as Mm-mm. himself.
3: Well, Snowdog, which we talked about together, yeah. mm-hmm. has four Michael Bolton songs in it. Wow!
2: Whoa! Oh. I did not know this. So, I I'm lucky. Time, love, and tenderness. That second head because that actually is a song that I enjoy.
0: Cuba Gooding not making the most money out of Snowdogs. Michael Bolton is a close second. <laughs> huh. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm oh, rocked by funny. that one. Anyway, thanks you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse. Uh, help us out if you got a couple extra cents. We do appreciate it. We're going to close out with some Sting. If I ever lose my faith in you. Um, I think I heard this song before I knew who the police were. That's what, that's that's my age. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, because Sting, I, yeah. I knew who Sting was. I had no idea he was in a band before this, but he was already ubiquitous on the radio when I was started paying attention, so... It's a good song to close out with and why not a good 90s a good early 90s song a little harmonica in there thank you guys so much for listening we'll see you next week if
1: you could